Quiet Tribe, where you at? I hope you're ready, rising from the ashes and it's getting heavy Conspiracies, we got plenty and some are scary From aliens to Bigfoot, extraordinary, yeah, yeah Danunaki Dan and the homie Romy I was bugging out, all the crazy things he showed me Jesus bloodlines to the stars in the skies Always a good time, vibing with the fire tribe Hey, So wake up, wake up, get it cracking Rise out the ashes, I know you got a passion Kick off the combo with theories, many conspiracies Other dimensions, plenty ancient history Fire tribe, where you at? Wake up we about to get into it I know you can't get enough At home, at work It don't matter, turn it up Rising from the ashes You know what's up, hey. uh, Rising from the ashes Hello everyone, welcome to Rising From the motherfucking Tartarian ashes <laughs> I'm Danny Naki Dan I'm the homie Romy What is good, brother? What's cracking my cracker? Oh, just being a Trisket, dipping, dipping my, <laughs> <laughs> dipping my woven if corners. You, if you could describe yourself as any type of cracker, what cracker would you be? Oh, that's a tough one, dude. There's so many, so many just deep, deep understandings of crackers that have so many, uh, so many beautiful, beautiful different flavors and stuff. Uh, but I would probably be these like this beautiful cracker that has like different nuts and seeds in it with little cranberry bits throughout with the softness and oh. the crunchy. Oh man, so good. Those are good. I've had those before. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? With the cheese, yeah. Fuck yeah. yeah. I would be a graham cracker. <laughs> you would. Because you... I'm sweet. Because he's sweet, a little can... salty. Yeah, and you want to dunk me. Sometimes you just want to go fucking. Want to melt a marshmallow on you? Yeah, yeah. And you can use me to eat chocolate and marshmallow fluff and stuff. You know. Ooh, ooh, marshmallow fluff and stuff. <laughs> Gross. Yeah, man. So, uh, what's going on? I don't know, man. Fucking uh, Tartaria month. Yeah, Is isn't it amazing? Dude, it's been going hard. You it's, feel like uh, we're getting any closer to answers? No. No? <laughs> the closest I think that we're getting to some answers right now, I think, is uh, that, what, from my understanding, is is that Tartaria is not, it wasn't Tartaria. <clears throat> it was called Tartaria by the Westerners yeah. um, as a slang name, right? <clears throat> but it probably wasn't called Tartaria by the Easterners. But then mm -hmm. again, maybe it was because a lot of the maps say that. But were the maps written, yeah. published by who? Who wrote the maps that wrote the land of Tartary? So is I just Tartary heard, a slang uh, word or is it the actual name? I just heard Gary Wayne on uh, Goodness Over Darkness podcast. And uh, he said that it says that Adonai is the God of the Bible in the Bible. Which is really interesting because when we talk to Ari Asulin later this month, we've already recorded it, folks. Uh, he mentions Adonai as like the Russian giant Jesus. So yes, it's uh, pretty interesting right there because you we know we don't really talk too much about Russia being part of it, but maybe Russia plays more of a part than we believe. I don't know. I that was definitely. I mean, I know we're not 
doing that episode right now. We're doing the episode with Mark, but uh, that was one of the biggest takeaways from that Ari episode, man, was like when he dropped that, that Russian Jesus bomb, I was like, <laughs> whoa, but it resonated, you know, like yeah. something about it kind of like was like, oh, okay. Because he also told us the story of, of how basically like the, the Roman empire was started by a Russian family that, or a Russian group of people that left Russia to go mm-hmm. and basically become the Jesuits, right? Uh, no. No, that wasn't it? No, he said the Jesuits came from France. Oh, and they came later. Right, they weren't They weren't connected yeah. to that. I don't know. It's all, it's all, uh, it gets fucking confusing. I think that's why there's so many different ideas about Tartaria. Uh, he, he did, when we interviewed him last time, he did talk about that also, about Adonis or Adonai or however you say. I had a friend named Adonis once. Cool guy. Oh, oh sweet, man. So <laughs> let's get into that uh, fresh, 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 News. News you can trust. Angel dust. Yeah, man. Hey, so what up, everybody? Um, here's the deal. Uh, <laughs> I fucking hate Elon Musk. Everyone knows it. Making it well known. <laughs> uh, I hate him. He's a dirty whore. And uh, he's the whore of Babylon. He's the whore of Babylon who's kicked me off a many a many a social platforms for calling him out. And um, you know, I've just been been trying to just do as much digging as I can on him. Uh, but not necessarily just him, you know, because his family is deep. It's deep, right? Like for some reason, you know, I'd never heard about his mother, his father, or his grandparents. Well, when I found out, I was like, wow, every, this makes a lot more sense. You know, he's not just a, a hardworking lad who, um, you know, went to, you know, got out of his small town and went to a college and then created these companies and all these things, which he's never created any of the companies, by the way, he's bought in all of them because he's been incredibly rich forever and was born into money. And so I started doing some research for, uh, just looking into who his family was and his mother is May Musk and May Musk is a, she's a famous model. She's a Canadian model. Go ahead. What are you going to say? You got something. Sounds musky. No, oh, gross. I don't want to smell it. I guarantee the amount of adrenochrome and strange graphene oxide bullshit that they fucking... Because if you look at her, she is just the epitome of of like trying to stay young forever, right? May Musk is... She's creepy. Um, but she's actually the daughter of this man named Josh Haldeman, who was a, I mean, his story is that he's a chiropractor, right? From Canada, but he was a chiropractor who also got kicked out of Canada for treason and technocracy. So he was part of the technocratic movement back in the early 1900s, right before the great depression. And this is what kind of spiked him. So like he got kicked out of Canada 
and came to America, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and through these endeavors is when he started to, you know, uh, meet uh, some very, very rich people, right? Like he has associations with dun, 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 Rockefellers and the Rothschilds. And famously, this is written all over the internet. It's not hard to find. But Josh Haldeman and his wife took May Musk, and May's a, uh, Elon's mother is a twin, by the way, mm. right? Which is interesting. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, fun things that go into the occults and twins. But they uh, took a very small plane around the world in like the 40s looking for lost civilizations. They were very avid on it and they uh, landed in South Africa for some time. And that's actually uh, where Elon Musk's father is famously known for being a South African engineer, where they supposedly have. Uh, mines of like uh, I don't know if it's diamond mines, but it's some sort of precious, precious Gym. stone mines. Yeah, gems. So, anyways, I found this video. Right, uh, this this lady on YouTube describing and claiming that she had worked for Josh Haldeman, and and her her grandfather actually knocked Josh Haldeman out, um, gave him a cold clock. So. Um, it's a pretty interesting, um, pretty interesting story. Sounds like uh, a time freeze. Yes. Cold clock. Cold clock. Whoops. Time freeze. Help me. I'm frozen. Uh, it is, it is about nine minute video. So, uh, Whoa. Hang, hang in there, chaps. Are you ready? Let's get it. She called herself light and it was in 1978 that I, first remember her, although she was at my birth and named me Rosemary. I'm starting to uncover what I believe is a CIA connection because her father was alive and well after his reported death in 1974 because I knew him. I worked for him. He, he paid me. <laughs> um, her father was alive and well, Dr. Joshua Norman Haldeman. And I believe he was, well, because my aunt said he was brought over here and worked for us now. And I know that he was kicked out of Canada for treason, for being a technocrat leader. Um, Alderman did, in fact, work for us. At least I was told that. And he was alive and well and up to no good on Penny Lane, working with head mental hospital doctors at the Imola State Mental Hospital. And Dr. Haldeman was working in Silicon Valley. And I think I heard Stanford and Davis in there. You see Davis. And they sent me over to the... Yachtville, California, Veterans Hospital as well to work. That doesn't make any sense. I was a minor and I wasn't a veteran, so work. These words, uh, they never hooked me up to any electronics. They didn't do that. I was house girl and they sent me to be a house girl for other doctors like the head of the mental hospital in Napa. We lived right next door to him and she lived across the street from him. But I'm finding connections that would lead me to believe that May Musk is a CIA asset because her father and his Silicon Valley and he was working brain chips, lasers, robots, weather, everything up to no good, faked his death, got away with it, ran around America. And then May Musk called herself light and she was working with my mother, who was head madam of San Francisco, Madame Claire. Claire means light in French. 
My mother, head madam, Claire, San Francisco, California, USA. So there's three generations of them. With Mema's father, I find an Operation Paperclip connection. The time, the place, the words, everything lined up. Uh, when there was a situation that arose in a fist fight with my grandfather, the explanation was he works for Haldeman, works for us now. Um, so there's, there's the time and the place, the locations, the words all fit. So her father, like an Operation Paperclip Nazi, and then she was taking van loads of televisions to Charlie Manson and creating prisoner armies and buying future chaos. When I asked for an explanation, I was told she was buying future chaos for the agenda. And I was told that Elon would lead the great deception. As a child, I didn't know what that was. I didn't even ask. I was like, wow, whatever that is, right? But it was bad. So May Musk was working with military. She was working with the hippies. No, her father was working with the military and the labs. My grandfather showed up, recognized him, beat his ass down on Penny Lane. I told you about that in another story. <laughs> and um, May Musk, yeah, in 1978, when the program, the MKUltra CIA Operation Climax was supposed to end in San Francisco, I believe they took people in as house girls because they had my grandmother working as a maid in Pacifica, California, at some of their elite locations. And they used to bring me as a child and do stuff I can't even talk about yet. Um, and then and there was Nazi insurgents and other men in black, um, the Pacifica Castle in California, uh, Sam's Castle. But May Musk... She was arrested in the Manson Roundup, in the Charlie Manson arrest. And look again at that murder. Um, Sharon Tate was there, Rosemary LaBlanca. It was not an accident that they went to that house. That was not an accident once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, I think they were brainwashed and, and programmed to do that. Um, Anyway, May Musk was arrested in that Manson Roundup because my aunt had the Helter Skelter book and it was the very first original copy. And May Musk was in there and mentioned as a 13-year-old Canadian runaway. Well, it said she was 13, but she was lying. She was really approximately 23 at the time. And she was released. And that's suspicious right there. But her father was, in fact, a doctor and an official and could what he wanted to do to pick her back up so he was creating chaos with the nazis he came over here to america from canada and africa she came from africa to my memory in 1978 and was living on penny lane and buying off prisoners with televisions creating future armies for the chaos they were creating um this is very hard for me because, you know, the in the Bible where Moses is raised in Pharaoh's household, he grows a conscience, runs away, and 40 years later he comes back to face them. And I feel just like that because it's actually been 40 years for me too. 40 feels like a number, a time of waiting. 
Haldeman always paid me in $40 increments as well. That's pretty strange. 40 feels like waiting. Anyway, here we are 40 years later, and I see Elon and May Musk in the news. Uh, she was she was set up to be my hero. Um, she's beautiful and dangerous and unattainable, like my mother. She reminded me of my mother, and I had a strange affiliation for her, uh, a strange fondness. I always wanted to go over and see her, and my aunt would always tell me, don't bug light, don't bug light. <laughs> and don't piss off the Bilderbergs. Yeah, when I wanted to quit, after Elon tried to, after Elon opened a gateway to the abyss and attempted to uh, ask me to come play with his friends, they were going to devour me. I said I wanted to quit to my aunt. And she said, don't piss off the Bilderbergs. They're the Illuminati. Would you rather be the babysitter on Penny Lane or one of their experiments over at the Nuthouse? Well, I said I'd rather be the babysitter. Jesus saved me from that life. It's been so strange, but now that these people are in the news, it, it's starting to make sense. The great deception is here. Look at how beautiful they are and the whole world wanders after Elon. Everybody wants to be him. He's on the Rogan show smoking a blunt in his Hogan's Heroes bomber jacket. It's all a trick of smoke and mirrors, y'all. Jesus said, be not deceived. All of those things are interesting. I'm not saying those are all to be led, uh, uh, you know, into the, your, your, um, your understanding of what is the complete truth uh but it's interesting to think about she did bring up a lot of very very real things uh and most of them are real um i i don't know the association well he between... wasn't smoking a blunt on the joe rogan show he took like one hit and that was yeah weird. he he hit weed that was a big deal right everyone was like oh my God. um the but what that did is actually it made made people he so He's been um, introducing himself as like a humanitarian, a, a people person, you know, even though he's worth, uh, you know, however many billions of dollars, right? His net worth. But if he gets to come on to Joe Rogan and smoke weed, it kind of is like the Michael Phelps thing, right? Like it makes him more normal, right? Not some like, I can't touch this billionaire and I, I can relate to him because we do these things where it's relatable. You know, it's, it's similar to what the Rockefellers and what Bill Gates, you know, their foundations were doing. They, they do humanitarian projects and humanitarian um, things to make them more relatable to the masses. Right. So they'll connect and they'll, they'll, you know, follow blindly into putting fucking Neuralink graphene oxide nets neural mesh in their brain because apparently people are already on board with that because they don't mind connecting their brain to a computer software program they just don't most people do okay. it already yeah and that's fine i don't care hey anybody want to do that that's amazing do it let me know how it goes i'll be sitting under here underneath a tree connecting my feet to the beautiful soil and staring at the sun as I get charged with the beauty and the awesome magic of earth that we have here before us and not fucking tapping in to some dark web bullshit that can probably send an EMP and just explode your brain at any moment in time. Who fucking knows? You're still reeling off that master debater show on the great deception podcast. Huh? Absolutely. <laughs> hey, should we post that man? I, we got the, we got the link. We could, uh, we could put it on our feed. Oh, that's good. They can listen to it on The Great Deception. Whatever. 
<laughs> Anyways, so that's you know that's basically what I got. Just wanted to like kind of give you guys a little bit of uh, some. There's a lot more stories in history we could go into. Joshua Haldeman itself, like he was, he he has a big history. He has some interesting stories. I mean, they're a very not boring family. Like they have a lot of crazy shit yeah. that goes down. You Definitely know? sounds so, a lot like the MK Ultra stuff with the sex kittens and the twins and yep. The Manson stuff is very uh, MK Ultra, Helter Skelter, all that. She shit. was in the original Helter Skelter book. And when I found that out, it wasn't on this video. But this video was interesting because she was reaffirming a lot of other things I'd watched in another documentary, and especially the, Ch the Charles Manson connection, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I tried to look up the Helter Skelter book to find Mae Musk in there, it had been scrubbed, but. Apparently, some people do have the original copies, and they can they can like see her in there or whatever. That's fucking crazy. But another thing too, I really wanted to do before we sign off. I sent you a link to the Napa State uh, Hospital, mm -hmm. right? Which she brings up in there. This came to my 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 mainframe somehow. Like I can't even. I was doing Tartaria research and watching videos. And someone just mentioned the the Napa State Insane Asylum, and I was like, "Man, I, I wonder what that is." And I I I look it up. You know, when you just something, you hear something, and you mm -hmm. need to look it up right there. Like you don't even necessarily know why. Um, and I did, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is Tartarian as fuck!" Like people, please go Google Napa State Hospital right now. Um, <laughs> it's look at it. It's huge. It's on. It's on like. 138 acres it's a huge huge castle like tartarian building um yeah didn't michelle bring that up i think so yeah i think so yeah i found it somewhere when i was i think i was not watching one of her videos i was watching another video but i think i brought it up in that and we talked about that there's a lot a lot of insane asylums that are all used um with these old like tartarian yeah, architecture, which is interesting because it's like the type of history and and the the kind of fucked history that of the projects and things that they do to people in insane asylums is mm -hmm. not good, right? Like shock therapy and yeah. all all these very very crazy experiments. But if they're doing them in buildings that have access to having massive amounts of ether energy, or you know, like they have these. Uh, esoteric you know ways of being old buildings and we don't know how they work but if the people that run them know how they work they can run these weird projects on them or whatever mm -hmm. it's crazy it's deep look it up y'all uh i i think i'm gonna take a trip down there it's only a two-hour drive from here and see what kind of trouble i can get into excellent good work my friend thank you good sir good work so we're gonna do a little role reversal here because i'm i'm gonna tell you about plants yes <laughs> beautiful so i have this book called scottish witchcraft it's the what? mystery it's the history and magic of the picks let me see hold that puppy up Ooh, tight i like how they and, put the uh, k in there that's real that's when you know it's i'm real. gonna read from chapter 13 herbal lore and healing like most Wiccans, Pictish witches have a good knowledge of herbs and are adept at healing, both through the use of herbs and by many other methods. 
pectowitans should certainly be able to administer to themselves and their neighbors when sick. Herbs. Most sickness, most sicknesses experienced in any particular country can be cured by using things found growing in that country. To be prepared for any sickness, stock up on a number of basic herbs, flowers, barks, and roots, carefully drying them and storing them for future use. Keep them packed in jars or envelopes ready for emergencies. One thing all Wittens must remember, however, is to ask permission from the herb before cutting it. Ask permission to use it and explain how it will be used for healing purposes. Cut the herb with your dirk. Here are some of the leaves, flowers, barks, and roots used by the picks. So it has a list of leaves, and then it has all the different types of plants and what it cures. So it says ash for rheumatoid arthritis, blackberry leaves for diarrhea, chamomile for debility, dandelion for laxative and tonic, goldenrod for vomiting, ground ivy for ulcers, whorehound for coughs and beer making, lobelia for bronchial complaints and croup, nettles for blood pressure and rashes, peppermint for flatulence, plantain for piles, raspberry for uh, gargle for throat, rosemary, hair stimulant, sage for your kidneys and liver, scabious for internal inflammation, sorrel for cooling and fever drink, southern wood for female disorders, sweet chestnut for asthma and chest complaints, thyme for antiseptic, violet for paltices, wormwood for digestion and worms, yarrow for colds and fevers. And then it has a list of flowers, roots, and barks. Uh, some here I'll go I'll do some roots, uh, a dandelion for rheumatics and liver complaints, uh, marshmallow for dysentery, uh, rhubarb for apriant, gentle laxative, uh, Solomon seal for pulmonary troubles, uh, a couple of the barks, ash for laxative, oak for antiseptic and tonic, cherry for lung disease. And it says a good basic way of using the above is to infuse one of the herbs, root or bark, into a pint of water, and then to take one wine glass full each morning and night. The following are some recipes taken from Adam Brioch's personal book. Do not boil preparations in aluminum containers. Use copper or earthenware or glass. Uh, coughs, colds, and chillblains seem to be common problems in and around the highlands. Uh, and then it goes over like, um, what to, what these recipes for coughs, chest colds, uh, sore throats, uh, hoarseness, asthma, bladder problems, blood purifier. It tells you what combinations to use to help uh, cure these different everyday type things. You, yeah, yeah. Dandelion, I feel like, is one that you should just be sipping all the time, a little dandelion root tea. Yeah. Tastes really good, too. Uh, and then I'm just going to read this one part right here about earth healing. There are other ways of healing besides using herbs. One way used a great deal by the 
Pectiwitta involves drawing power from the earth and directing it into the patient. This is usually done without the patient being present. There is a belief held by many people that if we are sick, it is for a reason, be it a learning experience or whatever, and that therefore nothing should be done to short-circuit that. Others believe that sickness is a sign of the body being out of balance and that steps should be immediately be taken to bring it back into balance. There are, of course, many variations on these beliefs, but it should be obvious that it is therefore important that with any form of healing and any form of magic, for that matter, there must be consent on the part of the recipient. Don't just assume that because someone is sick, they will welcome you working to make them well again. Ask them if you may work for them, get their permission. Assuming you have that permission, start by preparing as you did in chapter 7. Think through carefully what you intend to do and how you intend to do it. Now, ground yourself. Having grounded, lay flat upon the ground with your eyes closed, your legs apart, and your arms out to the sides at shoulder height, much like a pentagram or five-pointed star. You can either face down, sometimes difficult for breathing, or face up, but have the palms of your hands flat on the ground and your head towards the east. Now breathe deeply and try to sense the energy of the earth. Feel, feel it pulsating. Hear the deep, sonorous pulse of nature. Attune yourself to it. Match your breathing to the breathing of the earth. Initially, this may sound ridiculous. Give yourself time. You will slowly sense the beat of life. Let yourself flow with the beat. Breathe and merge with the ground beneath you. Let yourself become one with the soil or rock on which you lie. Now ask the earth for healing energy to be used on another. Think of yourself as a battery. Soak up the energy. Feel it being absorbed into you through your hands, and through your whole body as it presses against the ground. Keep the battery image so that you don't immediately feel full. Draw in that energy as an automobile battery does when it is charged. See yourself on charge. When you feel you have absorbed all you need and you will have the capacity to take all you need, turn your mind to the person you wish to heal. See them. Picture them clearly in your mind. See them lying in the same position that you are in. Now bring the two of you together. It will be like looking at two images projected onto a screen side by side. Then the two are moved together to merge and become one. That is how you must see the two of you. Now feel the energy you have absorbed leaving your body and feeling the body of the other person. As you do so, see yourself slowly pulling back, the two images once again separating, but as you are separating, you are leaving the healing energy in the other body. Don't hurry this. Bring yourself back and now see the other person getting to their feet. See them smiling. See them walking, running, jumping, laughing. See them fit and well. Then take your time coming back from this. Sit up and relax. Don't dwell on what you've done, leaving the image and the thought of the patient. The above magical healing can also be performed using a tree as a conduit to the earth. Rather than lying flat on the ground, sit up against a tree, face the tree, and face east. Wrap both your arms and legs around the tree trunk of the tree and continue as above, drawing energy into yourself from the earth, yep. but bringing it up through the tree. 
choose a tree where you can wrap yourself around without discomfort. The type of tree is unimportant. Yep, that's 100% earth healing, if I've ever heard it. <laughs> it's just interesting, you know. Uh, a lot of people think that pagan belief systems are evil and they see pentagrams and this witchcraft and automatically assume evilness. And it has more to do with the healing nature of yourself and this planet and becoming one with nature than it really does with trying to fuck with other people. So um, that's why I wanted to read that because I, I think it's kind of an important part about Tartaria that we see in the oncoming materialism that we are seeing everywhere. It's obviously not a natural path and it's obviously not pagans that are doing it. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing is, is when there's all these labels, right? Like attached to these, these groups of people to, to put labels and, and subject everybody. It's it, what it does is it, it kind of takes away the actual magic and connection to earth, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's, you know, your pagans, your, your Wiccans, your, your Christians, your Tartarians, whatever, like any of those humans were to do this type of like connection, this slow understanding of intentional healing and connection through earth wouldn't matter what you are, who you came, where you are, who you came from, you know, and it doesn't. And that's, that's important, you know, and it's important to just, to continue to, to, to do these practices and keep them strong because, you know, like even me, like I, I, I just, I do a lot of this kind of stuff. Like I, I will willingly open mouth French kiss trees too. And I, without asking permission, sometimes <laughs> I'm like, well, it was a little aggressive, a lot of tongue. You're but, out uh, there raping trees, dog. <laughs> hey, hey, but, uh, but you know, there's, um, you know, because I feel every time I'm, walking through the woods i feel like there's just a lot of energy there and it's really healing when you put when you go and hug a tree and you just put your face on it and like you breathe in that fresh oxygen like mm -hmm. wow like that's life you know so there's there's some some goodness there man I, thanks for bringing that up dude that's a great book you might have to you might have to send that one to me bro yeah i might have to read some more passages from it too because it's a uh, it's it's interesting, man. Uh, it's basically the Scottish witchcraft um, of the Picts. Do you know what the Picts are? Pixar. <laughs> Pixar. Pixar. Oh, that's weird. Uh, who were the Picts? The fascinating book deals with the two subjects that have intrigued people for generations, witchcraft and the Picts. Little is known about the Picts. However, this book is based on information taught by a descendant of these early Celtic peoples. Celtic with a K. Um, the Picts were eventually absorbed into what became Scotland, yet many of their individual traits and peculiarities have survived into modern day. For example, the Picts were well-versed in herbal lore, both for a medicinal purpose and as a means of survival in the wild highlands in the north of Britain. This is one aspect of their craft presented here. Their ways of divining, of looking into the future, are similarly included. It goes on, but from from what I've found out about the Picts is that they were called Picts because they had 
tattoos all over their body or pictures. And so they were the picture people or the pic oh. people. And oh. so that's where the, we get the word picture from is because uh, these pics had uh, like tattoos and pictures all over their body. Yeah. 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 And yeah. So they're, they're painted in a way. So uh, that's where that comes from. Yeah. Dope. Yeah. No, I, I, uh, I love that. There's, there's a lot of history there, man. I mean, that's that's cool as fuck. We should maybe do an entire episode on that with like an well, expert. That's what we should do with our uh, fireball episodes: is just read some passages from books and just discuss them. You know what I mean? F and heck, I'm with you know? it. Yes. Yeah. Chops, yeah, it's, chops, 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 chops. it's interesting because you can go into a lot of different things, and just with a little bit of knowledge. You know, straight from a book or some type of resource or article. I mean, we do it every every episode here, right? We we bring forth some type of article or book passage, and we talk about those for the intro. So, I mean, we could, we could do whole shows out of just that stuff. Fairly, I was saying, I was thinking easily. too, maybe getting an, an author on or, or somebody who has uh, done some more extensive research and then picking their brain. Yeah, well, that's uh, what we do when we have guests on. You know, yeah, yeah. I know. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. We should get one. Somebody who has been studying the picks or Scottish. Oh, yeah. Scottish oh, yeah, uh, I would love to us. find somebody if I could. It's really hard to get in contact with authors as much. You know, like a lot of the people that we've so far gotten in contact with have been like um, – YouTubers or other podcasters or, or, you know, connections through other podcasters that have interviewed people. So, um, it, it's, it's hard. You have to go through like publication agencies and all this other stuff, dude, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how, we, that's how you keep it going, man. That's how you get the good stuff. We gotta have you the best show in the world, man. Better show in the world, man. <laughs> This show is on fire. <laughs> and rising from the ashes. All right, we're wrapping on 40 minutes here. Let's go. All right, let's kill it. So, here you go. Hope you guys enjoyed that intro. This is Mystic Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Tartar Control. Wake, <laughs> wake. Hey, everybody. Up. Thank you for tuning into today's show. Rising from the ashes, and we as the fire tribe will rise. Awaken our eyes beyond what is seemingly laid upon us. We can extend our consciousness to the further ends of our cosmic understanding. If you enjoy our show and you like the content that we create, make sure to like, subscribe, share with your friends. Hello, everybody. Yes, please, please, please do. Also, follow us on Instagram at RFTA Podcast. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email us at risingftashes at yahoo.com we are exclusively on alt media united check it out altmediaunited.com forward slash rising from the ashes
Yo, what's up, motherfuckers? Welcome to Rising from the Ashes. I'm Daniel Naki Dan. And I am the homie Romy. How are you doing today? I'm doing fabulous. Oh, I love that for you, man. We got Mystic Mark from my family thinks I'm fucking crazy in the house <laughs> and we're gonna get in on some tartaria action today yes i know uh i talked to mark about uh three or four weeks ago when it was his birthday and uh he had just talked about how he got some new tartaria books so uh i'm sure he has a lot to tell about that i do yes. i have some interesting information and I, I might even be able to share um, some maps from the book here on Ooh. the Well, yes. we are audio only, so you'll be sharing with us. Well, then I'll yes. do my best to describe them with visual language. Yes. Me and homie, Romy, are smoking up. We're sparking up because you need to <laughs> lubricate the mental space in order yeah. to get into these deep, deep waters. And... I, for a couple weeks now, have become a little suspicious of Tartaria, and I'm glad I did because it only pushed me to look further, and now I'm even more in Tartaria <laughs> than I was before. I was skeptical. I was like, ah, this is, are we all being psyoped? But the further I've looked into it, the more I think that Tartarians might be the original psyop in the sense of like, propaganda as we know it oh yes yeah was sort of rolled out in that way to help us or harm us in causing us to forget about our ancient past well let me tell you something brother brother i think tartaria is who is in control now yeah because they were the inventors of direct energy weapons maybe and are you sometimes I don't know what Roman talks about. You know, he just goes crazy, man. <laughs> Elements to the mix that don't <laughs> uh well my my thinking on it is that Tartaria is the, the Jesuit takeover of America and they took over these old pagan buildings and turned them into churches and whatnot, and that's why they're no longer in use anymore. And then they hid the actual function of these and demonized, um, you know, certain types of belief systems like crystals are weird and woo woo and you're gay if you like that. And uh, if you meditate, you're weird, you should be praying. Uh, that's all Eastern uh, mysticism and we can't do that. Uh, yoga is super weird. You shouldn't do yoga either, even though it's uh, very beneficial to your body to stretch and, uh, get in certain poses it's all pagan so don't do that i think that comes from the fact that the tartarians were the roman catholic church okay well that leaves us with a lot to go on i think 
some of those topics today for sure. I have, uh, I don't know. I have like a compensity to take things from like A to B in the sense of like when I'm trying to look at history, I want to understand, you know, beginning, middle, and end. Yeah, I'm gonna do my best to kind of put things in those terms. But let me ask you guys, like, as far as the oldest, and I know this isn't the first Tartarian conversation you've had, so. I'm hoping that, you know, we can all sort of brainstorm together yeah. rather than me just, you know, kind of hitting you with my opinion. To, For sure. Know. Are you making a new beat over there, Roman? What's going on? <laughs> I was not receiving a phone call. Okay. Not. <laughs> right. Absolutely not. So uh, let me ask you guys this. What is the oldest culture in the world? And not what culture, think, but like what's the oldest culture that we're told? is the oldest uh what we're told is sumeria yeah i was gonna say sumeria i That's can't really because uh, sumeria baps into babylonian <laughs> babylonian <laughs> babylonian so yeah mm. but uh, i don't know mm, i'm gonna go sumerian have you guys i i definitely agree that's the correct answer that's what <laughs> history tells us babylon sumeria yeah yeah this is the first place, uh, the first civilization. Now, you're familiar with the Temple of Solomon, right? Which was built by Israelites, built by Jewish people. Demons. In conjunction with <laughs> even, uh, the, the pharaohs or some sort, of, uh, some sort of ruling class, right? Have you guys heard of this? Yeah. I thought he did build it with demons, though. I wasn't joking. He used the he used lesser spirits. He commanded the lesser spirits to. Oh, okay, that's that's kind of I think Is that, that how it goes. Well, that's that's part of Solomonic magic is to uh, use you know the the sacred circle and then the square. Yeah. You cast a triangle and you you capture a lesser being in the triangle and and he does your bidding for you. At least that's oh, like okay. a, a recent version. Maybe Abraham Mellon, right? That the those rituals. Have you ever heard of the the uh, the book of Abraham Mellon? No, no, no. What is this? Oh, well, that that's somewhat of a, a in the scope of Tartaria. I would say more recent addition to the uh, Panopticon, if we're going to use that word. But the um, Abraham Mellon, Abraham Mellon text <laughs> was used by Crowley for one oh. of his rituals. But it's a uh, much older Hermetic Gnostic text that was written by a guy who called himself Abraham Mellon, if I could butcher that name a third time. And, uh, <laughs> and you know, people can find this book on Amazon. It's not like a secret hidden book, uh, but it talks about Solomonic magic, which is apparently passed down from King Solomon. Now, where mm, I was heading, okay. is, did you guys know that they used to call North America solomon's islands like and that's where the the name solomon's oh. islands comes from in the sense of like whoever named the solomon islands had that in mind when he was sailing but he named those islands that we know now today as solomon's islands okay when the myth comes from america like north america was thought of as the land of solomon where is the solomon island islands located now the Solomon, like in modern in the modern world, 
the Solomon Islands are a nation in the Pacific Ocean, like somewhere near uh, Micronesia, that sort of area. Oh, no way. All right. Yeah. So, so, so the, uh, I know you're going to tie it in together and tie it back into, you know, the relevance here. Uh, it's incredibly interesting. And so what, what like about time period and who was, who was claiming like this was obviously in the time of King Solomon or was this after his time? Like what, what was, what was going on with that? So Solomon's Islands, I'll get you guys the the Wikipedia, the gatekeeper's version of it real quick. (laughs) But um, I don't know off the top of my head. But the reason I I bring that up is because we have to keep in mind that when the people who we think of as the discoverers of the new world were setting out to explore the new world, I think the truth is closer to that they did not actually... Um, they didn't actually just take some kind of, you know, roll the dice and see if they hit land. They had maps. They knew where they were going. They had an idea and people had traveled to these places before. Uh, but the whole, Mm. the whole disguise, um, the agenda rather was to make people think that this land was all being discovered for the first time. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. Just um, write it in such great detail, right? I can add to that a little bit. Uh, there is a book by Gavin Mindy's and uh, called uh, called The Lost Atlantis, Lost City of Atlantis, and he went to Crete, and uh, they found like some uh, buried up lava, uh, like uh, basically a town that was like covered in lava. So there's like all these. Um, like dried lava walls, but they they found like a thin one, and they're able to hit it out, and they're able to get into the room that it kind of that this lava wall sealed off, and what they found in there was uh, a bunch of frescoes of uh big ships that carried um that could have possibly carried up to fifty people on each side with oars. Uh, paddling the ships and there was like all different sizes in this fleet there were small ones medium-sized ones super big ones i think the biggest one was the the 50 so like a hundred man one there might have even been bigger i can't remember exactly but these frescoes date to uh circa 2500 bc uh this was before mount vesuvius um, exploded in the in the Mediterranean Sea, so there was ships as far back as the um, twenty like twenty five hundred BC. And another day, we we're talking to Gary Wayne, and he believes that the biblical flood happened around twenty four thirty eight BC. So uh, I never really heard that theory before. So I think that's pretty interesting. And he thinks that maybe all civilizations were rebounded after that time. And that's why they kind of share all these same similar narratives, just with different names uh, because of the language barriers. So here's, here's what's interesting. And it's, it's a little bit of a tangent from where I just went to, but it's bringing us back to the, what I'm more prepared to talk about, which is the Phoenicians and how yes. there's a lot of information that shows that they were 
similar in many ways to the Tartarians and quite possibly the same group of people. Just like the word Tartar, I'm sure you guys have heard, has all these derogatory associations uh, in the Gaelic language itself, bringing us to Ireland. The word Tartar means thief. It also uh, has associations with like a noisy rumble. And there's also stories of Irish or Gaelic warriors who traveled east and had, you know, uh, captured Tartars. Right. So there is information in uh, Ireland. That shows that this idea of a Tartar has existed there for a while, as well as the concept of the Phoenician. I mean, the Phoenician, the word phony comes yeah. from that same line of thinking of like, we're going to derogatory, put a derogatory, uh, it, you know, context to uh, this definition that is uh-huh. you know, our enemy, right? These people were the, the empire's enemy in some way. So they got remembered for the propaganda rather than the truth. And yeah. with the Phoenicians, we know they were some of the most prolific sea travelers that you know existed at that time. And I think, you know, and this is a lot of information that uh is out there in many different ways. And I'll give a big shout out to a YouTube channel called Mind Unveiled because mm-hmm. they have done a really fantastic job of compiling a lot of this information. And, you know, what I try to do is, is take information like that, that I see in a vi- YouTube video and then go and find source material that isn't included that backs that up. And I think, you know, I found a couple books that, you know, like Roman, or I'm sorry, like you mentioned, Dan, I have, uh, I mentioned on my, my podcast, my birthday podcast, you getting hit with a rainstorm down there, Roman? <laughs> I know. Is that Roman? Got all fuzzy? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's absolutely uh, busting raindrops over here. Okay. So, so yeah, definitely, um, definitely some strange things about the Phoenicians. You guys have anything to add to that? Anything you've heard uh, about Phoenicians? Uh, yeah, for me, with studying Box Saga, I find uh, the Phoenicians have a connection with the Finns, mm. uh, like Finnish. Uh, so, Phoenician. That way with the F instead of with a PH. Uh, also, I believe it's connected to Phoenix and to uh, phonetics. Interesting. I do have this uh, Finio. I've showed you, Dan, before. Uh, the Finio Tartarian Magical Mythology book, oh. which kind of connects the Finnish and the Tartarian connection. Okay. So if Finnish with the PH and F are connected through something then that that's all i have to add to that also the song mrs carter you're a tartar uh from 1901 <laughs> we should play that song right now yeah, how's that go roman singing for us uh, i don't know it's in like it's in some like pretty complex actual musical writing with like quarter notes and stuff okay. but uh yeah it's like an old school song and i don't know it's just called mrs carter you're a tartar and that's going to be the name of this episode, I think. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely something that just begs the question: like, what was Atlantis, and where does Tartaria fit into that? Because when you look into some of these classical books about Phoenicians and uh, other possible ex- uh, answers or explanations for Atlantis, you find that like. Uh, rings true to what a lot of people are saying about Tartaria and something that 
Mind Unveiled brought to my attention was that this anti-Diluvian civilization that we know as the Phoenicians quite possibly were the remnants of that pre-Diluvian age, the pre-flood times. Mm-hmm. And, and they worked to disseminate that ancient knowledge back around throughout the globe. And we have a story from Plato about Atlantis. It's uh, Creatius, Creatius's uh, Atlantis, mm-hmm. or Plato. And he talks about, you know, a man named Critus or Critus who meets with another man named Solon. And I think Solon is telling him a story about his grandfather, who's had the same name, who went and visited with these Egyptian wise men, rulers, pharaohs. I'm not exactly sure the title, but... They basically kind of laughed at him and said, well, you Greeks are just children. You don't you don't have any old world information. You just have stolen all this information from other cultures. And you basically just have, you know, a child's uh, view of the world, you know, and we are truly the ancient culture. So Solon, I think, goes on to, to try to impress these wise men to show him like no 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 we we stole we stole some good information like tell us more and i don't think he got much more but they did mention a man who was cast out to tartarus which we know in greek mythology is a way of describing hell and mm. that fits right into the derogatory nature of propaganda and language and how the enemy's culture is remembered for the propaganda rather than the truth. And I think that's why you see the same thing in the box saga where Helsinki and hell are very similar, just like Tartarus and Tartaria are Mm -hmm. very similar. And I think what's happening is, you know, obviously modern, um, our, our mainstream understanding of history, we know Alexander the great went all the way around the world, right? He conquered many different lands and, to me, I think they probably uh, had a hard time with the Mongols who were maybe uh, the remnants of Tartaria. And this is where you have this kind of uh, second cataclysm theory because there are a lot, of, there's a lot of like legends, even in the uh, United States and within indigenous tribes of like a mud flood or, or buried people buried under mud and somebody coming and like trying to dig them out. You know, we're, we have legends in indigenous culture of this kind of thing in Texas and in New Mexico and other places where there's a story and a ritual or a holiday where somebody is buried underground. And then the like, you know, whoever else is to participating in this ritual come over and they dig them out of the ground. So, you know, we have this idea of possibly a mud flood. And then, you know, considering the first cataclysm had something to do with water, right? And I, I think I'm leaving parts out, but one of the things that Solon heard was that there was a cataclysm of water and a cataclysm of fire. And when I heard that, it made me think of my conversation with Ari, who you guys have spoken with mm-hmm. as well. And Ari talks about this Thunderbolt project and how they're looking into the canyons and seeing if things are like scarred from electricity, possibly. 
And then I talked to Corey Daniels, who told me about the actual evidence for ancient, very far into the ancient past, megalithic and possibly very advanced civilizations who were able to build canals and other earth structures in Phoenix, Arizona, or what was Phoenix, Arizona, much, much mm-hmm. later, you know, in time. So I'm piecing things together and in that synchromistic way, you know, like certain conversations, certain people, certain things come out. And just in that same way with bookstores, I found this book uh, called The Vinland Map and the Tartar Relationship, mm-hmm. which we can get to in a bit. But I think it's really fascinating just the uh, connections between the cataclysm stories and also the ever present um, fear mongering around these types of events, like apocalypse, for instance. But go ahead. Vinland is another name for Finland. Wow. Yes. So, so yes. Asians, it's Finland. known as the vine, like the vine land. Right. Uh, so you could take that as the vine or you could take that as the vine. Um, also in that story of uh, Solon and uh, Plato and, and everything, um, I, I believe uh, the Atlanteans gave the Athenians a gift. And I can't recall the gift. It was either olives or it was like olives and grapes. And I can't uh, Which recall. would be symbolic probably for... The vines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Could be. That's interesting. Mark, do you think this is, uh, or and both of you humans, um, whoever, uh, but uh, mainly Mark, <laughs> um, do you think this is the classic story of the East versus the West? Uh, in my understanding of Tartaria, it's like Russia and China and like these Eastern and then, uh, and then everything outside of, you know, the, the Eastern philosophy was calling this Tartarus or this hell, this like paganist situation. And, you know, with the, with the North American Tartaries, you know, like there being Tartarian remnants here with indigenous cultures, there's a land bridge from Russia to here. So easily they would have gotten here further easier than the Western people would have because they have that straight land bridge connection. So it would make sense that Tartarians would be here to the, to the North American continents because it like in order for a western to do it they have to either travel all the way across the ocean right which is a trek obviously or they have to go all the way through the eastern land and through the land bridge so um it's like do you think or they could travel east to america let's let's that's what i mean what you said because most of what you said i agree with and there's some parts i disagree with so let me rehash a couple things because i think our uh, understanding of sea travel is a little skewed and I think people have the ability yes. to travel across vast distances of ocean for a long long time and they've been doing it for as long as we've had uh, stone alignments and we know that most stone alignments are measuring the movement of the stars right so these stone alignments also are either in high places or near water in a lot of cases as well. So I think that being said, and given what we know, possibly that there were two cataclysms, one of water, one of fire, maybe the ocean level changed both times and, you know, things were uh, more connected before things got set to the Pangea they are now. 
Uh, well, I think Pangea is, is an altogether different topic. What we're talking about when we consider yeah. like a mud flood is a cataclysm that is, is water, but it's also like it's shaking up the ground in the sense that like there, there's a lot of water in lakes and all kinds of places. And, and you have storms in high places, like all this water is accumulating. Right. And then when a big amount of heat comes, that snow, that water, that's all going to start to melt. It's going to start to flood and really create what people call the mud flood, where all this like silt and debris, like solid flood just comes and wrecks everything that's in a uh, uh, waterway. Uh, what we see now is like fjords in a lot of places up in the north. I mean, that could have been the, the result of these really heavy cataclysmic movements of whether it's ice or, or, yeah. or whatever. Tectonic plates also could play a large role in that but, as well. But when we look at when we look at like guys like Graham Hancock and, and Randall Carlson, who are kind of more on the mainstream front of this stuff and maybe not going this far with the speculation or prob- possibly just like looking at other things that do connect, they're just interpreting them in a different mm-hmm. way. You know, I think there's a lot of evidence, A, for the flood and B, for multiple cataclysms, whether it's through asteroid strike, whether it's through earthquake. And, you know, one thing that was really interesting to kind of connect it all back is the Book of Mormon talks about this stuff. And they have um, a map from the 1600s in a book. Again, Mind Unveiled does a great job. Can't plug them enough. Um, but they show this map where it shows Salt Lake City, you know, being there much longer, you know, much further into the past than when the Mormons got there. And, you know, the whole legacy of the Mormons and their whole mythology, I think people kind of mock it. It's guarded very fiercely. You know, there's a lot of like uh, strong community up there. And like, that's the kind of place where, secrets can be insulated and i think what we we see the mormons as is like the propaganda or the like silly version of their religion but the truth is is they have some deep stuff going on and if they were building those really huge um victorian looking buildings in salt lake city well you know I think it's more likely that there was a culture that built them much, much longer into the past. And when we take a look at the Temple of Solomon, which connects back to the Phoenicians, we see that same type of architecture at a very, very huge, huge scale. And, you know, all sorts of little stories that hint at uh, antiquarian tech technology from that age. Uh, One of the stories about the Book of Mormons is that they were a part of the 12 tribes and they found this device that was like a compass, but not pointing North. It was pointing them towards the new world and they followed this device. And it was a type of device that I think they have a lot of like symbols of gods holding this type of thing. It looks like a cross with an orb in the center. And now if you look on top of like the Mormon churches, this is part of their symbology. You have this sort of cross with an orb in the center with two lines meet at their axis. I thought you were going to say something, Dan. <laughs> I thought Roman was going to say something. All I hear is his rain over there. 
Oh, I thought I thought you were also going to say something. Uh, I will say something though. Uh, I, I, it's funny because like I always thought Mormonism had something to do with that, the the symbolism behind like this ridiculous story of how it was founded, like this you know sticking his head in the ground and finding a book of like ancient knowledge. It like could be symbolic for you know understanding some sort of like lost history or getting some sort of like actual higher up information. I don't know. That's interesting. He was confronted by a man named Maroni who glue, who glowed this green color and Maroni told, um, what's his name? John, uh, John Smith, John Smith. He told John Smith where to find these golden tablets and, uh, John Smith went and unburied these golden tablets and, he apparently could read them and he would tell people things. But I think a lot of that has been uh, debunked as he was just, uh, John Smith was just a, a con artist. Bus- businessman, yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, I think he actually came from a family of con artists. Well, and I think what you find is when there is something to hide, there has to be many stories to throw people off the trail. And that might be an example of just that. Uh, yeah. You hear, you hear like that same trope. I mean, that's essentially just a retelling of like Moses finding uh, the tablets or like, you know, it's, it's a, it's a playing on a theme, right? So, uh-huh. and these themes are used because people who have been indoctrinated are susceptible to them. And I think that, you know, when you look at, this idea of cataclysm and and the shifting of the oceans. And then you go back to these old maps, you see, you know, the, the Island of California, it's like, well, you know, it's possible that the California could have been an Island. Look at all this open space. I mean, Romans out there, Dan, I, I forget, forgive me where you're at. And I'm in California. So, yeah, so you guys know. That's crazy. I literally have that in my notes. I want to bring up to you about the, Island California, California, if you knew anything about that, yeah. Well, and it's funny because, you know, Wiz Khalifa, I was, (laughs) I first learned about this strange little fact through him. And somebody asked him, you know, why did you name yourself Wiz Khalifa? And he said, well, because I'm from California or so, or I got famous in California. And, and, uh, you know, I liked California. And I found out that the, the word California comes from this. Uh, story that was told by one of these travelers one of the, in the same sort of way that they named the Solomon Islands. You know, these travelers had all these romantic stories of the new world that they were like mm. mythicized back then. So when they discovered places, they wouldn't just like name them after themselves. Like you see a lot of British guys doing captain something or others Island, mm-hmm. you know, uh, with the Spanish, they were kind of trying to romanticize and uh, name things with that sort of mythology in mind. And they named California after this goddess Khalifa. And Khalifa is interesting because she does have some connections to that same uh, mythology realm where we have stories of the Titans who are said to be the first generation of human beings on the planet and they came from Tartarus. So it's like, if this is how the Greeks are remembering, you know, the world and then the Egyptians are like, you guys are children. I think what the case is like the Egyptians were from Atlantis, 
And then the Greeks kind of defeated Tartarus, which was a part of, you know, the remnants of Atlantis or maybe existed when Atlantis existed as well and had some sort of uh, antithetical relationship with them, which would, you know, maybe lend itself to why this whole area of people who were, you know, kind of the remnants of Atlantis would have had this prejudice against Tartarians because both nations existed in this golden age period when the technology was much more advanced. They are able to build with material using maybe something sacred geometrical, like, like the way that these buildings, the size and the, the way that they're built, it almost looks like a computer simulated them. And that's not, you know, coming from a guy who likes simulation theory, but if we're going to talk about like ancient technology, I don't find it too far-fetched to think that they could have had some science far more advanced than, you know, what we've gotten from the Greeks. Cause you got to keep in mind, Plato, the guy who, you know, this story comes from, he's the father of uh, geometry, right? So if they were telling him and his cohorts that they had child science, like what kind of amazing science did they have? So, you know, that's where I've been led to kind of think is like, we have a more complicated history of this ancient time than we're given. We're given little hints, we're given little pieces, and that's because the people who are in the ruling class, much like you suggested in the beginning, Dan, they're either, you know, uh, the descendants of one or the other, Atlantis or Tartaria, either one, but at the end of the day, they're keeping us as a common people in this state of ignorance, erasing history so that they can maintain that connection with that ancient technology and those ancient secrets and be the only ones who can use it and possibly so that there isn't ever those cataclysms again. I mean, we don't, we don't know that it's all malevolent. What if this technology and knowing this technology, like great power comes great responsibility. What if these uh, secret societies, this ruling class, they're gatekeeping this technology so that there aren't any more cataclysms? I mean, obviously, when you talk to like Matt Landman or Jim Lee and you find out that they're manipulating the weather, it's like, okay, so yeah, they are kind of still doing that shit. You know what I'm saying? But like the cataclysm theory is a huge part of Tartaria. And again, you know. I'm kind of going all over the place, but back to North America, where people are theorizing there are Tartarian buildings, the indigenous people talk about underground places. They talk about being buried under dirt, under clay, right? That sounds a lot like a mud flood to me. Before you get into the indigenous people stuff, because I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um, Let me, uh, there's, we're talking about what the most ancient civilization was. Right. and Sumerians and Enki and Enlil and Enki was said to be a scientist wouldn't you know and also Enki inhabited <laughs> Africa and gave many parts of Africa to his sons including Marduk who he gave uh, Babylon um, and then uh, later he came to Egypt I believe but he usurped Enlil in Babylon. Um, but basically what I'm getting at is Africa was named Kemet because of chemistry, right? And it was Enki, the scientist, who was said to be the inhabitor of the African continent and his family. 
And it talked about Enki a lot going to the Abzu. And it says that the Abzu is at the very southern tip of Africa. And there's possibly a portal there into another world or mm. to the Abzu or to the inner earth or however you want to look at it. You can look at it. Well, but, that that connects to somebody who I've met in person, an author named Ross Ben. He's put a lot of really cool research out in the form of podcasts, YouTube presentations and books. And in his book that I own, Great Mystery Philadelphia, he quotes a story about an African king named Abu Bakar who sails off to the new world. And they weren't, again, doing this like haphazardly rolling the dice. They had what was known as the Wangara Trading Network, which was said to have been uh, a group of silent traders, meaning they can trade with any language because they didn't speak themselves. They had some sort of way of communicating that didn't require language. And what's interesting is there's a town in Australia all the way like near Perth, that side of Australia, Uh the um, the western side of Australia, which is the more remote side. Um, And there's this town called Wangara, funny enough, where there were gold mines a long time ago. So this gold trading network had made it, you know, to Australia all the way around. They had maps of all these different trading routes, including going through Mongolia, further uh, east into Tartaria, which I think were the same sort of place, possibly the Great Wall of China being somehow like a borderline of their empire that we've, you know, now are uh-huh. told that it's like the greatest like symbol of Chinese. You know, that could be true, but at the same time, I think. The, the people of China, who knows, maybe they're descendants from that great nation as well. I mean, you look at all of the religions in the world, they all include the same themes as far as astro theology goes. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's evidence of that sort of either monoculture or duo culture that were in some sort of rivalry and, or face some sort of cataclysm, whether through their war with each other or through, you know, uh, interaction with the heavenly beings. We remember them by many names, but for shorthand, we call them the gods. But, you know, it's like you can go all over to these indigenous cultures and find the same kind of themes and more, you know, with the Dogon people who talk about the, the Sirius B star and you talk to certain tribes in Australia and they have this very advanced knowledge of dreaming. And it's like, you know, you go to Peru and, and all these places in South America and they're doing, you know, the exact same type of shamanism that people all the way up in Russia are doing, you know, in very similar ways with just different landscapes and different plants and animals. So we obviously have a connection uh, in ancient times much further back. And I think the reason why we've forgotten about it is, again, going back to rewriting our history but also disconnecting us from our real true power source, whatever that is, you know, and Mm -hmm. indigenous cultures more recently in history took the brunt of that conquistador colonialism type movement that, you know, Christianized the, the savage and take, took all of that or attempted to take all of that information and hide it away. You know, you see, um, examples of very, very high civilization and maybe even high technology in Mesoamerica and South America and Central America. And it's, it's like, well, 
you know, if this guy who was an Egyptian king and he had <laughs> a thousand ships that he sailed off to the new world with all the way back in 800 something uh, AD, like, how do we know he didn't get over and, and help with what the Aztecs put together or with what the Mayans put together? And and then you you connect that to those big, big, um, I forget the proper name, but those huge stone heads, what are they called? The uh, Olmec. Olmec, right. So the Olmecs are considered like the ancient, the most ancient culture here in, uh, well, not here, but down in, in Central America. And, you know, I'm not trying to like take credit away from them or that group of people, but maybe, you know, their stories about their ancestors coming from another place is more true than we think. And these people from Africa who were the remnants of the Atlantis cataclysm actually built those pyramids that are in uh, Central America and South America. I mean, to me, it seems like it makes sense. Yeah, and in and, uh, and Mexico, where the Maya would have been from, they have a dog called a Cholo dog. It looks exactly like Anubis, and it's also the god of the underworld. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of similarities like that, no matter uh, what you look at, but I hadn't heard that. That's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I actually have some pictures of it. Uh, I wonder if I can find them, but go ahead. Well, and the, you know, the other thing that comes to mind is like, since you mentioned animals is like, uh, uh, go, go blacky peppy where, yes. you know, you have all of these animals that seem to not exist. Like there's depictions of animals that we wouldn't recognize. We can't recognize. Like we don't know what they are. They don't look like animals that are around today. So, you know, clearly there's, you know, remnants of, a of, a much, much more ancient time than is recorded. And maybe this is all kind of like 101 stuff, but I think the, the Tartarian topic is so deep that it's easy to get t- carried away with like the high technology, Tesla technology. All the buildings are like melted buildings or mountains and sort of the more extreme theories you hear when really like Modern scholars have talked about this kind of stuff for thousands of years. They're just they just weren't necessarily using the same terms that we're now using. I, that's why I think it's important to connect like Phoenician, Tartarian, uh, even Aryan comes from this possible connection mm-hmm. between Irish and Indian people, oh. and you know a place where the Irish or the Phoenicians sailed to and had you know this same sort of relationship with. Uh, people in India. And that's the kind of thing that you know we're talking about is with the trading, the Wangar trading network, people in Ireland, like you can see today, like Ireland is known for a couple like staples, but they're not growing a huge variety of things in Ireland. So people who had lived there for thousands of years, I think were trading and going all over the world, getting other things and coming back. And you might even see that, not that I'm the expert, but you might even see that in some of the, um, you know, flora and fauna in Ireland, if that uh, global connection does exist. And um, the other thing is, is in this book by Henry O'Brien, which I haven't really gotten into yet, but it's called Atlantis in Ireland the round towers of Ireland. And he basically makes a connection to all of these different round towers that you can see in Ireland and how they look or are similar to uh, 
you know, architecture in ancient Egypt. Uh, yeah, what's interesting about that is uh, I heard, uh, or from my perspective, I think that the Aryan is because of the age of Aries. And when it talks about, uh, um, you've talked to Ari before, he talked about the Martians, right? right? Aries is a representation of Mars. And so I think that's what what the Martians were that were the Aryans from the time period of Aries. Right. Um, and also the, that Hindu uh, stand connection with Ireland. Uh, they called their uh, like books, the Vedas and the, the Irish call them the Adas, <laughs> the Edas. Right. Like the Prost Edda but then you have the Vedas. So it's like almost similar. The only difference is that V letter. That's it. What about the Druid, the Druids getting chased out? There's like a connection between Druids and um, some Egyptian gods as well, right? Well, they also say that the Kabbalah comes from uh, Jews who left the, you know, Leviath when the, you know, Romans took over and they went all over the place, but they went over where the Druids were and kind of mixed together and created the Kabbalah and existed in Spain. A lot of conquistadors are, you know, using like this kind of stuff. It's interesting. I just found out about this recently on Aeon Byte. He was interviewing a guy named Anthony Garcia talking about the Nag Hammadi, but he mentioned that there are all of these uh, Spanish people who are sort of seen as catholic now but they have more similarity to like a jewish uh descent and and jewish uh culture which is very i think super fascinating to find out that they're using like the kabbalah and stuff and tarot cards because you have all this like you know santeria and that kind of thing and you don't really hear about like when you think about that sort of thing you might think about demon possession but you don't necessarily go to like tarot and that sort of thing Maybe I'm just like a gringo up here in New England, so I'm not, you know, down there. I don't know. I just so here's a. Uh, can you guys see my screen share? Yeah, this is the cholo dog. Yeah, cholito. It's uh This is the Mayan god of the underworld, and uh, it looks just like Anubis. Yeah, dogman. Yeah, like it literally looks like a Mayan or Aztec version of what it, you would. Yeah, right. if you could. Do it. Do Anubis Aztec yeah. style. That's that's it. And that's yeah. a exo uh, exo l o t l. Anybody yeah. who's out there googling. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but there is names. Uh, there's a cholo. Uh, cholo is like a style for the Mexicans. It's like their their style uh, of art. Uh, well, like the cholo uh, person, like a cholo, like a vato cholo loco you know like uh think like cheech from cheech and chong he was a cholo uh-huh right they wear like the high suspenders and shit and like the the big baggy pants and like the homies remember the little homies oh, i i 100 know who you're those talking are cholos. About, yeah 
Yes. Yeah, I'm aware. I'm aware. Okay. Romy is a little homie. He yeah, he's a little homie. No, dude, I, I button up my top button constantly, dude. Like I got the, <laughs> don't worry, I got khakis. I got, I got the button ups. Um, but I, I think to, you know, I think it's kind of inevitable that you, like it's, it's kind of straightforward to think um, that the Middle East and, you know, the Aztec Mayan cultures where these pyramid building cultures were, that they're connected. I mean, there's just, there's no doubt in my mind, which is a, a feeble peasant, you know, mind, if you will, and I will, um, to make a connection between giant pyramids being built that, um, you know, have ancient cultures tied to them that have been wiped out, um, with like esoteric history tied behind it. It just makes sense. Um, and, and when you find these connections, it's just like, oh yeah, like, I think intuitively we knew that, um, whether it's in the collective consciousness or something, but why, why is it so hard to piece together something else I really wanted to bring up too, sirs? Um, it's, it, I was talking today. This is another one of those beautiful synchromistic style of things. Um, but I was just talking today because my friend, uh, she, her name is Regan, right? Not Reagan. It's Regan. Not to be associated with, uh, Ronald Reagan. Of course not. But, um, you know, it kind of has, um, Irish background. No, no. The other story was my friend Laura, who's this, uh, awesome woman, uh, that I work with and she's about six, two red hair. Um, just fucking just. Demon. She's a, she's a beast, right? Her great grandfather came to America from Ireland. And when the boat was coming to dock, you have to show paperwork when you get on the American shores, right? So her grandpa, great, great grandfather jumped off of the boat and swam and he was not a good swimmer. So he actually started to drown because he didn't have paperwork to, you know, come over. He snuck over illegally, uh-huh. he jumped off of the boat and a nun that happened to be at the dock saved him jumped in the water and saved him this irish immigrant and then she took him to shore and that nun and that irish man ended up getting later married she left the church and that's her great-grandfather and then that started uh and i was like that's a fascinating story i was like wow thank you for sharing that and then i started to think about how close ireland is to england and how how powerful England is and and all of the history and everything that we know. I mean, England is just this, you know, it's, it's so powerful and prominent and right across the world because they, you know, have done the dirty work to get there. But Ireland always stuck out and was so different and had such a strong spiritual backing to it. And then it has these ties to where you're finding Celtic art, um, you know, in South America or in islands, like in the, you know, randomly, like there's, there's Celtic art on all of these rocks places. And then you're finding connections between Ireland and the Middle East, but it's so close to England that it's, it's interesting that England never got a hold a hundred percent of Ireland. Like Ireland kept true to these strong kind of like, you know, esoteric to the, or pagan kind of style, uh, of living and belief, you know? So I always thought that was interesting and kind of came up and I'm glad we're talking about this. So any touch-ups on that, sirs? No, I mean, to bring it back to the Vinland map and the Tartar relation, like the Vinland map talks a lot about or shows portions of the new world, namely Nova Scotia, Labrador, and that goes into a whole bunch of stuff, the Arcadian mystery and Court Lindahl's work, which is super fascinating. I've only just begun to wrap my head around it. Um, But 
the Irish have been all over the new world. I mean, I think uh, what's so cool about doing this podcast with Michael Wan and the Susquehanna River Valley, you know, and all the stuff he knows about that. He told me, um, I'm sorry, he told the world <laughs> on the podcast, I, you know, I always since I know him now, it feels like when I listen to podcasts, he's talking directly to me, but he's not. Um, but it's weird. It's like he mentioned this connection between the Susquehanna, the word Susquehanna, and this goddess Susquehanna, uh, Susquehanna something or other, who is uh, from Gaelic, right? It's a Gaelic word, mm-hmm. Gaelic connections to the Susquehanna, uh, the name and, you know, if you guys aren't from the East Coast, you might not know the Susquehanna River is the river that goes through uh, Pennsylvania, starts all the way up in New York, but it comes down and becomes the Chesapeake Bay. And that's where Washington, D.C. is, is right there on the Chesapeake Bay. So this whole area where I live, the East Coast and New England, has this kind of cryptic Gaelic influence in the Algonquin language that was spoken by the Iroquois nation that lived here and some other tribes and Mi'kmaq people were kind of, uh, you know, seen as like this strange, like group of people that, you know, mix with the French. And so there's a lot of like strange connections, you know, France again, kind of connected to Phoenicia as well. Right. So, I mean, this whole time period is super murky and I'm definitely just kind of like spitting stuff out, but I don't know. I feel like, Uh I thought Sasquatch had to do with Sasquatch. There's no, no. connection there. No, no, it's no. His, it's a bath. No, no. Sa- Sasquatch <laughs> is, uh, is spelled differently. So. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, uh, we when we were talking to uh, Bo Kennedy from the Bump, he had mentioned that uh, some of the eastern mountains are actually geographically the same as some of the mountain ranges in Ireland. Like they were almost once uh, connected or there was uh, land between them before. Right. That's right. Mountain range that connected. So there's there's some Irish connection uh, there also. And he was saying Sasquatch families spreading throughout the world, including in the Appalachians and in Ireland. So look out Irish for your Sasquatches. <laughs> so, oh, so he's like tracing the, the migration of Sasquatch and shit. Well, uh, Bo Kennedy hosts the Bump podcast. I know. He's in Alt Media United. He's uh, yeah, he's, yeah. I've talked to him. Yeah. Shout out. Yeah. Uh, I gotta get I gotta get him on to talk about Sasquatch's migratory routes. That's <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how much he knows about it, but he he mentioned it in uh in just conversation. But um, well, yeah. back to that like piece of information. I mean. Given the cataclysms and the evidence we have for like the glacial, yeah, and across the whole like northern half of the North American continent, I mean, what if the land towards the far east of the North American continent was just much lower, so it all got sunken underwater? I mean, yeah, right, yeah. possible that you know that that was once there and it just got destroyed not just like sunken underwater it could have just been like smashed by glaciers i mean yeah. allegedly these glaciers were like 40 stories high like huge very tall i think i saw a picture where like you know the glacier was like this high and i'm reaching my hands like way above my head and then the, the depiction of new york city if it was 
existing next to the glacier was like the size of your thumb on the page. It was like huge. Whoa. That's mega. Mega, mega force of ice and water pushing across the earth. You know, it's why the landscape looks the way it does in so many places. I think we have to take that into consideration and also not just make the assumption that humans weren't around or they all died or we we wouldn't have had the technology to remember it. I think we did. I think we kept stories and preserved this wisdom and certain people, you know, certain civilizations didn't make it, you know, possibly Atlantis because like, you, know, you even see with Africa how Africa looks like it could kind of fit right into the Caribbean area, you know, or onto South America. And it's like, well, what yeah. if, you know, the earth is expanding and as it expands, there are these sort of cataclysms that occur and the, you know, ancient civilization that was once here gets cataclysms to, to us. Right. Cataclysms to us, but, you know, the earth is, it's in fact a living body. So it's like its growth is. Is, is important, you know, right. probably and, and well, really good. And, and so that's well, you're, you're absolutely right. Like the microcosm, macrocosm, look at it. Like it's the same way your body like overcomes certain illnesses and you have growing pains and things like that. Mm-hmm. Like you might perceive it as painful to have a fever, but ultimately that fever is helping you, uh, you know, release whatever yeah. is potentially going to harm you even more. Right. So yeah, I think that's a really good point to make, Roman, because we, we live in a, on a living being and we don't quite understand its life cycle and, and the ebbs and flows of how it uh, goes through its lifespan. Yeah, there is a theory that the Earth was uh, smaller and has been expanding. So uh, that would that would kind of fit into that idea also. Um not so much the flat earth idea, but it, it fits into the growing earth. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that just for a second. Why, why is there such a connection between flat earth and Tartaria and the mud flood? Because is it because of suppression of information? And so people feel like when they find out that NASA is, you know, have, having some sort of controlled opposed, uh, you know, uh, controlled opposition view and, and they're suppressing information. Like why, why are these flat earthers connecting to Tartaria so much? And, and they use it together a lot. Does anyone, does anyone have any follow up on that? I definitely, definitely noticed that, but why? I don't know. I think flat earthers in general, and I have respect, you know, I worked on a farm, uh, and the farm, the whole family were flat earthers and they had dairy cows and I worked with them for like a whole summer. And I respect that type of worldview. Um, but I think it's just, you know, it's that type of uh, attitude of like, F the system. We know you're lying to us that I respect. Yes. You know, it's exactly the, you know, the, um, you know, takeaway that the earth is flat. I think the the motivation of like, well, clearly we're being lied to, I think is being misapplied. But if we're going to really look at like old maps and stuff, I think there's more evidence that would show that we're more on like a dodecahedron. And that might explain why there's no curve, because it's not expanding in a perfect circle. It's like it's like kind of like plates almost in these kind of like arrangements and you might reach a spot that's like kind of flat, but because of the continuum of like consciousness, you don't perceive that like change in earth shape. 
when you're like on it, you know, because the land might be so massive that you just couldn't, right? I don't know. I'm not like yeah. I, 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 I can, yeah, I can, I can feel that. I mean, it's it's hard to even fathom how large these forests and trees are to imagine how you can, you know, periscope up and see what the surroundings are just because you're standing on a high peak. Well, but also like the the like image of like a realm. I think people call it a realm where it's like an egg and then like a, a one plane, another plane, another plane. I think that's a more, uh, if we're going to talk about like what we're actually in, that's a better example because there's an underworld and there's an above, you know, and I think on a spiritual level, we transverse those realities. Maybe our physical body stays in whatever this is, but I don't think that takes into account where we go and we dream where we go when we die, where the gods and the angels and the lesser spirits realm, you know, where they roam. I don't think that, you know, you can map that the same way we can like a, a, a globe or, or a, a flat earth yeah. model. You know, it's just, it, it, we're in a, a, a different type of uh, model than, than something that can be defined with a geometrical shape. I think too, yeah, yeah, a lot it, of the flat earth idea comes from the fact that these old maps seem to be two dimensional and they kind of take that in, in effect to mean that the earth is flat. Uh, and I think it has something to do with like the UN map and like how it's constructed, but it's actually a round map just in 2D. So, uh, but I mean, it's interesting about the UN map is like, you know, people will debunk that and be like, well, they're not talking about the flat earth. They're just showing the world from like the North Pole because, you know, that's it puts more emphasis on Europe and, and uh, yeah. Russia and America, you know, and less emphasis on the rest of the world below and on the equator, which are considered, you know, for the most part, third world nations, save for maybe Australia, which is just a part of Great a Britain. Prison. <laughs> right, a prison. It's a part of part of Britain. Right. So, right. so I think. But what's so interesting to bring it back to this book that's been on my lap that I'm using to roll up a blunt uh, is <laughs> is uh, is this this map that shows um, the world from the top. And again, you know, this is let me a, see that baby podcast. So I'll do my best to describe it and also do my best to hold it for you guys because it's a big book. Almost there. Yeah. That is a big book. Look at that. Oh yeah. Oh okay. I see. I see. I see. Uh huh. That's, that's what's known uh, as a ring around it. Hyperborea, right? That's what they call Hyperborea. Usually, if you look uh -huh. up uh, maps of Hyperborea, you will see this. But what I think is ancient cults run the world, and maybe are part of the UN. I think they know about that map. Because that's the easiest way to get around the world through the North Pole. And they don't want mm -hmm. to know that. They want people to think that it's just like really cold and dangerous and uncharted. And half the year it's completely frozen and you can't even go through it anyways. I don't know. Maybe I'm sounding like a huge idiot. and I'm Sounds totally like the Bifrost, huh? No, no. But yeah, my, well, that's... It's, there's that's I, I, oh, sorry, I think I have Roman, a little bit of a Get away from your mic my, my, my a little bit. There you sound like shit. Is it? Damn it! Okay, I have a lag yeah. and I sound like shit. I I did I did interject when it, there was a pause. And don't then, stick it in your mouth. Just hold it in front of it. I thought it was a meatball. 
<laughs> I thought it was a meatball. I'm hungry. I didn't get to eat nothing. God, you guys are always getting me on here when I haven't had any fucking dinner. Jeez. Anyways, uh, so I, okay, yet again, I wanted to bring up the polls in this conversation, but it came oh. up naturally, and that's beautiful. Um, I think you're right. I think there, there, there's something that's really interesting that when you brought up, it used, you know, it used to be East versus West, pagan versus um, mono, you know, monotheistic, whatever, right? Now it's seemingly okay, yeah. North versus South, right? So it's like, okay, any equatorial countries or anything South of the Equator is just, is just trash, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be East versus West anymore, right? So the underworld. And then you think about, um, the box office stories or like this Northern culture being the, the, uh, high the, culture, the, the more, uh, the high culture, so the North Pole is so esoteric and it's so interesting. Uh, I would love to try to break it down as much, but I think I think the travel is a lot to do with it. I also think the electromagnetic energy and it's, they're harvesting. They they have access to so much of this just free energy that they're using for some sort of um, some sort of. I, I have no idea. I don't know, but it's so interesting. Um, Bring it back. And yeah, I just wanted to add that in there bring it back to the Irish and why you know I brought this up. Thank you, Roman, for adding because you're right. It is absolutely fascinating and mysterious and there are stories of people traveling to the hollow earth through the North Pole, uh-huh. right? So, but what's super fascinating on my podcast, I had Matt Raymer and he usually goes on podcasts to talk about his company content safe and like censorship and all those kind of things. But I thought it was really cool that he lived in the Philippines and I started asking him about the Philippines and he told me that there are uh, a tribe of people in the northern part of the Philippines called the Batanese uh, people and they have a very similar way of building their houses and the only place you see this similarity, or I should say the only other culture that builds houses this way are the Irish. So it's like if Irish or Scottish people were to leave Ireland and go to the Philippines, how would they get there other than the North Pole? It just doesn't, you know, like if you go north from, you know, and go maybe possibly around northern Canada or over northern Russia you know, you can make it over to the Pacific Ocean from the Atlantic Ocean, like you see in that map. And curiously, there's like a big, strange rock right in the middle of that map. But I'll uh, I'll include some of these pictures in my Telegram chat for anybody who wants to join Telegram chat. Um, they they talk about that um, magnetic mountain also in uh, the Atlantis uh, theology. Uh, it's also talked about in uh, Bach Saga that there's a, a mountain in the north. Um, it's talked about in Flat Earth also that there's a magnetic mountain. I think possibly that all of these have similar uh, beginnings. And uh, and it's all remnants of the same memory from the past. And that has to do with Bach Saga being trapped in ice uh, in the north and uh, not being able to get out of the ice because there is ice walls surrounding them. Um, I, that's basically the model of flat earth and the three concentric yeah. rings is like basically the model of Atlantis and they happen to both be in the same place. So 
it seems very interesting to me that that's a memory that people share and that it's all the same foundation. Mm, absolutely. With the Sumerian stuff, though, again, Enki being the chemist, he was also, you could say he was Neptune or Poseidon and his son uh, was Atlas and the ruler of Atlantis. Uh, Enki seems to have many faces. You could say he's Loki. You could say he's Prometheus. He's all these different things, right? The devil with horns and a pitchfork, right? That's like kind of combining like Loki and Neptune together in one. And uh, so it's kind of my idea or belief that Enki is all of these different people. Uh, because he's existed for so long, he lived such a long life. He had different uh, names for him as time went on. And it's interesting is he was the ruler of Atlantis, but when that great cataclysm happened, it seemed like people blamed him for it and he got extricated to Samaria. And it's in Sumerian oh. texts, they say that Enki had a lot of... Uh, a lot of battles with the Danuna. And I think the Danuna are those sea peoples that kind of took over uh, after the uh, flood and the Danuna and those Atlanteans are different than the original Atlanteans. And so you have these Atlantean people coming from the same place and having the same information, but being on opposing sides of each other. And also in the box saga, it talks about the 13 different uh, racial backgrounds or ethnicities of people all over the world. And three of them were in the north, Svindan and the Rosette. And then you had 10 tropical kingdoms. And then in the story of Atlantis, it's these 10 kings that leave Atlantis and re-civilize all these different other lands. And so I think there's a connection there between between the Sumerian and the Atlantean and then even in Egypt, too, because uh, in the Sitchin books, it talks about uh, Enki being in uh, Africa a lot. And Michael Tellinger, are you familiar with Michael Tellinger's work? Yeah, I've heard about him a bunch. I haven't like listened in. Uh, so, yeah, he uncovered a lot of like stone circles in Africa, but. One of the other interesting things that you can you can find him on YouTube and uh he says he is walking down this mountain, you know, lugging lugging down these big rocks and stuff. And he would step over this rock every day and every day. And then finally he like kicked at it and like pulled it up and looked at it. And he realized it was like part of a human body, but it was so big and massive he didn't realize that it could be part of a human body. And what he's basically saying is he's found petrified giant body parts. So he's found like petrified giant heart, petrified giant organs, petrified giant arms, legs. Uh, he's, I think he's almost put together like a whole skeleton of this uh, petrified giant that he has found in the ground. Uh, and he has a YouTube channel. He shows all of them on the YouTube channel, all laid out down on the blanket. And they're big. It's pretty interesting because a lot of people think that maybe the giants got flash frozen or like a lot of these big giant monuments with like uh, there's that one with a giant just chilling on the rock. But like 
the degree of like detail in it where you can like see the veins sticking out and everything it's like so freaking impressive wow. that somebody like actually did the carving of that uh people so people say like maybe some of these giants got flash frozen in time uh another thing with the giants is like they were so big and maybe they existed at a time when uh oxygen or carbon was different and they were able to be big you know in history we have the atmosphere the, was larger maybe yeah we have the uh megafauna right so maybe the humans had were around in this time and also megafauna but because the change in the earth they began to get weaker and they couldn't really uh do as much anymore so maybe there were some of the smaller ones that had a better chance like the nine footers or ten footers of of like you know fighting and doing battles but a lot of the other ones the older ones or bigger ones uh kind of succumbed to gravity and they weren't able to walk very well and very frail and that's why they're able to take over these big giants Mm. yeah i mean to touch up on that i Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Mark. Oh, it's all right to uh, to bring up giants in North America. I mean, obviously, mounds. People have plenty of books that they can turn to uh, to look at possible like mounds and how there are these huge giant skeletons found all across North America. But to bring it back to those same explorers that we were talking about, Magellan when he was traveling um, through but he called Patagonia. I don't know if it's still to this day, Patagonia. He came across these giants and basically kidnapped one of them and brought them on, on board on the ship. And to your story's credit, you know, the giant was not able to survive on sea. And, you know, maybe that's because he was sick because of all the diseases that allegedly came with the European people. But I don't know. I mean, it's 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 fascinating that they had these giants and they named them Patagonii. Oh, yeah. It's. I think. I think also to touch up on what we were talking about earlier about the Earth itself expanding and growing. If it's creating more land and tectonic, you know, plates are moving and shifting, and if there's volcanoes erupting more at a certain time, and and Earth just changing. You know, if the atmosphere itself isn't changing, the atmospheric bubble, right? Um, then the Earth is getting bigger inside of the bubble. I guess that would mean that there would be less room atmospherically for larger things to exist, be just because of, you know, how the how the Earth is evolving. So, um, you know, it's like maybe it all is kind of happening at this certain big time when, you know, when you're younger. Um, how you grow faster and like it's you know you grow till you get to a certain point and then you stop growing physically but then you start expanding your consciousness and your awareness well if the earth is like us when it's a baby and a child it might be smaller and it's growing faster so these things have time and they're grow like humans and all these animals and plants are growing faster bigger but the earth is also growing so then they're dying off and then what we are now is a more con- kind of understanding in the earth's consciousness itself also expanding at that same time as we do. Um, and with the same time of conscious growing also ego grows as well. And I think that's a lot of toxicity that kind of has to play with the parasitic situation in the, in the human paradigm, you know, very good Roman. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> You're growing. Hell yeah. I'm a baby and now I'm a man. <laughs> You're still too close to the mic though. Knock that shit off. Oh gosh darn. Well, um, okay, let's can I, can we bring it back Tartarian real quick? Because I have something I want to read off of a thing off a thing I found online. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. And then see see what happens because um <clears throat> This is written in the uh, the Encyclopedia Britannica from the first edition, episode three, Edinburgh, seventeen seventy one, page, uh, which is an interesting time for this to you know to come out. But this is what the mainstream says about Tartaria at this point. I know we were talking about more ancient Tartarian, about the the origin and roots, but I'm just going to bring it back into what we can kind of like pull from from things that are written about it here and now. Okay, so Encyclopedia Britannica, first edition, episode three, Edinburgh, 771, page 80, 887, tells us, from Urals to Alaska, from New Earth to Tibet, Tartaria was a great country in northern Asia, bounded by Siberia in the north, called the Great Tartaria in the west. Tartarians living south of Moscovia and Siberia were called Astarachins, Cherkis, and Dagestinians lived northwest of the Caspian Sea. Kalmy Tartars named those who inhabited the territory between Siberia and the Caspian Sea, Uzbek Tartarians, and the Mogulas inhabited the land north of Persia and India. Finally, Tibetan Tartarians, they lived northwest of China. The natural boundaries of the realm area and that occupied almost the entire northern hemisphere in these ancient times were ocean shores at three of them ice silence and atlantic were actually its inland waters and this was true until the 18th century suddenly as if the waving of an evil wizard's magic wand tartaria disappeared the world's largest empire on map from the encyclopedia britannica the year of 1771 was displayed on the threshold of the new ages why didn't this great empire leave a few less important states behind, as usually in the case of the breakdown of other empires? And where did millions of inhabitants go? And why can we find no mention of their amazing territorial hole in history books? Tartaria suddenly disappeared from maps, books, and Annika. Just suddenly, it's not. <laughs> okay yeah i thought it was interesting because a lot of the stuff i'm finding is is you know it's like this it's russia and china mainly predominantly holding down the tartarian court during um a large part of history just russia and, and china right yeah i'm uh what did you say that book was from? Because you made me... Oh, you said it was from the Historica uh, or the Britannica, the History... And so, yes. Media. Yeah. Uh, it made me think of... The uh, first edition, episode three. It made me think of looking in this book that, for whatever reason, um, may connect. It's called the Urantia book. Have you guys ever heard of this book before? No, I have not. So nope. what made me think of it not only was what... Romy just brought up, but then you mentioned that John Smith talked to a guy named the Morancha man, right? Something like that. Moroni. Oh, the Moroni. Okay. So maybe this isn't dead on synchronicity, but yeah, this book is really strange. It was channeled uh, in like the 1800s in like 
Illinois or something. And it talks about like the whole history of the planet. And it talks about all of these different um, ancient cultures and interplanetary beings and actual life of Jesus Christ. So my thought, my instinct was like, oh, let me open this up and see what they say about Tartaria. And uh, I'm not seeing it stand out yet, but Phoenicia does come up a couple times. So, you know, I'll have to revisit this and maybe you guys come on my show in like a, a couple of weeks or so and we could all do another Tartaria round table. But yeah, man, I definitely feel like uh, a lot has been left on the table to to follow up on. You know, we kind of just touched on a lot of like the, the sort of um, Atlantean vibes. Atlantean stuff, but also like the examples where like this whole thing of looking into lost history isn't new, you know, like Tartaria. Mm-hmm. I think people think it's a psyop when they first get into it, but I don't think that anymore. You know, like I said at the beginning of the show, I was definitely skeptical, but you know, when looking into real, like what we're told is real history, if we're even going to believe that there's all this evidence for all sorts of things like this Tartarian theme going on. One thing I want to talk about though, is um, how they talk about the melted buildings Uh, A lot of the ancient people believed uh, it's in the Native American legends that uh, this bird would bring them uh, some type of fluid or something that they could get from this bird and they could melt the rock. So I'm wondering if they are melting down rocks or maybe maybe they're actually doing like an old style of concrete in some way and it's when it's reforming it's just reforming back into the rock that it was right and maybe that's why we see it as melted because maybe just the sun for so long has maybe made it expand and now it's bubbling out like kind of like a loaf of bread you know you put the loaf of bread in the pan and then when it gets hot, it like kind of rises and goes over the outside and it gives it that bubbleish feature. Because if you look at a lot of these big rocks, they kind of have like this bubbleish outside almost, uh, like it expanded outward. So maybe there's, maybe there's something to do with that. Cause a lot of the legends talk about, uh, this, this substance that they were able to use to melt rock with. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, a lot of stonework requires requires fire. I mean, you need to like burn boulders in order to get smaller pieces of of stone that you can work with. So there's definitely that element of fire and possibly, like you said, that connection to like concrete because to, uh, you know, the same way that UFOs would be called birds to an indigenous culture, they might Mm -hmm. not understand concrete and just see it as melted rock rather than what we would scientifically. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, I I think that's... Think about the cutting of stone. And also, like, sexy woman down there is, like, one of these... Sexy woman. <laughs> where you have, uh, have like, like near-perfect... Sexy woman. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, though, right? Those yes, yes, yes. perfect like, boulders that are, like, puzzle piece together. Yes, yes. They say the similar, a similar thing with uh, the way those were built with melted stone. Roman, turn your thing off if you're not going to talk. Huh. Okay. 
I feel like Roman is like like Dan his car or something like really sad. Like this music, it's like, are you like? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> oh my god! First of all, y'all motherfuckers is tripping. All right, don't even sound that bad. No, there's, and, uh, there's a lot of and static. Two, Dan, why don't you? Oh, is it? Does yeah. it sound bad, Mark? I'm gonna take Mark's opinion. Hold on, Mark. How's it sound? Okay, Dan is not being. He's not exaggerating. It does sound pretty. pretty he's not. Oh my, fine. I'll turn it down. Fine. <laughs> but I. I yeah. Sure but let me do say this. <laughs> let me just say this. Okay, that was really close to the mic. Okay, sorry. Let me just say this. Okay. So say it. Jesus. Let me just say it though, real quick. You guys ready? This is very exciting. Fuck you. <laughs> no, I, I, I love this conversation. Thank you guys so much. Um I I, I think <laughs> it's got the soundboard. Uh the direct energy weapons is something that I want to talk to Ari with again, um, because that, yeah. you know, speaking of these birds with, you know, with some sort of liquid, whether or not that's like a direct, you know, plasma type of liquid that's, that's hot and coming from some sort of vessel or whether or not they made this bird and you know, what have you, there's a lot of encounters and I watched the Thunderbolt project. It's a fantastic YouTube channel. Um, they are deep. The, the fashy. You ever heard of like the fat fasci fasci what that is in your bot in the human body or uh, on earth so you're talking about directed energy weapons so this um there's this Roman artifact called like a fasce it was like a weapon that they had uh-huh. and it looks like a bundle of sticks, hence the term fascism you know they say that uh, yeah that's a fag too. Right. Well, the bundle of sticks thing, I don't know if it necessarily comes from what they tell us it comes from. I think it comes from, and this is, again, going back to Mind Unveiled, they have some information on this, and I've seen it in other places. I think uh, Brad Olson uh, talked about it when he was on my show. But either way, it or no, you know who talked about it? Uh, Andreas Zertis talked about it. So I'd love to get Brad Olson on though if you got that little <laughs> help out with that. But um but so the fasci looks like this bundle of sticks with like an axe on it. And you know, they, they say yes. it was like a ceremonial weapon, but some people theorize that this was a cannon, like an air cannon. And Ari, when he was on my show, he was talking about how cannons look really weird and some of them don't function the way we're told they function, and they quite possibly were these like sonic weaponry from ancient times. And then you consider like the story of that wall of Jerusalem of Jericho that gets, you know, knocked down with the horns of Gabriel. It's like very interesting stuff when you consider like, you know, the, the stories and then these weapons that seem like they're very deadly, but you know, uh, the, in application, but not in appearance. Mm hmm. Very similar to what we would, yeah. There we go. So, you know, it it we're told it's like an axe, but it kind of uh, might have been like a, a bundle of like flutes that would shoot uh, a sonic wave. Um, oh, right. Yeah. That, what is it? Axe. What it, What does it give as the explanation of what it is? Out of curiosity. Just as, like a ritual, like a some sort of ritualized weapon. I would imagine. I mean. You guys should definitely, since you have the image up, hit the Wikipedia. 
the Etruscan civilization, which Andreas talks about them and how they're connected to Tartarus. But yeah, see, it symbolized. It was kind of a symbolic weapon. It symbolized the magic yeah. power. Well, if you look at a lot too in those um, other ancient depictions, they have like this thing that has um, it's like a bar, and then the two outside are like uh, pyramids almost on them on each side, and you usually see like um, the the gods holding them. Well, and, and you know what's interesting too about this is like they mention right there in the Wikipedia how. You know, the fascist was taken up by the Italians and the swastika was taken up by the Nazis. And uh-huh. both of those symbols have very, very ancient, ancient sim- like uh, meanings yeah. to them. And then people talk about how World War II was possibly like one of those reset periods. So it's like, huh, interesting that the two Axis powers were using ancient symbols around the time that they rewrote all the history books to help us forget or harm us in forgetting that we uh, were once this powerful and had these sorts of technologies in ancient times. And that building there, I mean, very similar to what the Temple of Solomon looks like. Which one is this? This is a Vimana temple. It's the Marvel of India, Brihadiswarar. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's how you pronounce it, but Tanjivar <laughs> Tamil Nadu, India, the Vimana Temple Tower at Brihadi Swarar Temple. Very mm. cool. Yeah, people should look this up to get this same picture, since this isn't a visual uh, podcast yet. But I think my homies are going to be on Rockfin soon enough. You guys got to get on Rockfin, maybe and put these videos Ooh. on, right? You're going to be talking Tartaria. Uh, yeah. Shit, we might as well. Yeah. Sounds fun. Love How's this? The Black Tartarian Cherries. Black Tartarian huh? Cherries? Yeah. Black They're Tartarian a cherry. Cherries. <laughs> they, uh, the Black Tartarian Cherries are popularly pickled in Russia. Just like mushrooms in Russia, because Tartarians are interesting peeps. Yeah, like if uh, I was actually hallucinogenic mushrooms. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but I used to work for a chef, one of the most renowned chefs. Shout out to my mentor um, that I ever worked for. Um, In case people didn't know, I do have the word chef tattooed on my hand. I've been cooking food professionally for a very long time. Come over, baby. I'm going to make you food. Um, But anyways, he he has a Russian wife. And when he was over in Russia riding in a tank, drinking vodka, ice fishing with these folks, um, he brought back a bunch of pickled mushrooms. And I was like, I'm not going to eat these. And they're called slippery jacks or slippery elms. And I was like, I'm not going to eat these slippery pickled mushrooms. But I actually took them out and then I like soaked them in some whiskey and put them on the. Describe how he found Tartarian cherries again, because I just want to say like every person I've ever met that works in the food industry for a long time has this same sort of uh, attitude. So please tell me again what he was doing. (laughs) Thank (laughs) you. 
I know. No, he, so this chef that I used to work for was an amazing man. And he, he's such a good chef and been in it in such a long time that when he learned how to cook professionally, he, there was no culinary schools. Like he had to actually go to a five star hotel in, you know, at a ski resort in the mountains and be, uh, an intern. And so he's been a chef for, yeah, you know, like this is back before the pyramid schemes, um, or the Vamana schemes of, uh, <laughs> of the culinary school system. Uh, and, uh, so he, he, he loved German and European and Russian culture. And he, and so he, uh, you know, being American wanted to go travel and find a wife. And so he found himself in Russia a lot. And when he was in Russia, he met this woman who he brought back to America. And now she's a librarian in Portland and, uh, and and they adopted three Mexican babies and they have a beautiful life. Uh, and he's a farmer now. And uh, he he went to Russia and was hanging out with her family. And they had on, they just had an army tank and they were cruising around the Snowden forest. Uh, not the Snowden. Whoa, sorry. A snowed in forest in Russia and they were just he said repeatedly drinking vodka all day from the morning into the night um, as they went ice fishing out, out of a tank love it alright yeah this reminds me of the German uh, baker guy that I worked for who was from Venezuela who went to Germany learned how to uh, bake bread and, and went surfing all over the world we have oh, very well, sim- similar paths Roman I will do that. That sounds amazing. Let's go. So, what is this that you're showing us? The Bellum Tartarsian? This has been my favorite finding since in looking of Tartarian research. It's the Bellum Tartaricum, or the conquest of the great, most renowned empire of China by the invasion of the Tartars, who in their... And these last seven years have wholly subdued the vast empire together with a map of the provinces of the chief cities of the countries and the better understanding of the story written in Latin by Martin Martinu present in the country of most passages here and related and now faithfully translated into English. Printed for John Crook and are to be sold at his shop at the sign of the ship on St. Paul's Churchyard in 1654. Yeah, uh, just an old-ass book, and all of these look like Fs, so I have to recalculate my myself to be able to read it, you know. Um, um, it's got some maps in here. I got something for you guys while you're uh, circulating through some maps and shit. Uh, this is from Box Saga. It's, uh, historical aspects of the Box Saga. In the period leading up to the 400 AD, the global situation was as follows. The Arctic children of Lemminkainen lived in Udenma and the surrounding ringlands. They had also spread into northern Russia and Siberia and reached the Black and Caspian Seas by the Dnieper and Volga rivers. In all these territories, the original heathen procreation system was followed. After the great expansion from Gotland and later from Hell and Udenmaw into the aforementioned territories, their area of influence diminished again because these the people from China, India, and Turkey 
move northwards into new lands, thereby mixing with Van-speaking inhabitants of these new ringlands. From the combination of Chinese and Arctic veneer come the Mongol. The combination of Hindi and Arctic veneer became the Tartar, or the Tatar, Tatar, T-A-T-A-R, and the Sultan people who mixed with the descendants of Lemminkainen became the Slavic people. The rulers of these new races replaced Lemminkainen in hell as the All-Father, yet another fragmentation of the human race. On the Atlantic side of Europe, the Gothic veneer had to share territory with the descendants of Zvin and Dan. Those of mixed origin mostly followed a king system of procreation. So uh, I just thought that was interesting about the, the combo of the people that created the Mongols and the Tatos. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this, it keeps expanding every every, every page we turn. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff in it, granted, but there's also a lot of very interesting stuff. And uh, when you start to take it for what it's actually saying and, and put it into context and double check it and back check it like a, you like you were you said you were doing Mark with uh, mind unveiled. I mean, uh, once you start back checking and and looking into things, you start to go, oh shit, maybe this has a little bit more depth than originally thought. Right. Yeah. Well, and also it starts to like bring to mind, you know, again, why are they lying to us about our true history and what is there to tr- like, what is there to hide? What are they gaining from hiding all this information from us, or at least making it very unavailable? Um, see, so that's what I was saying back when, uh, when we first started this conversation, how I was saying the Catholic church is the ones that are the Tartarians is because what they're hiding is this pagan belief system they're trying Mm. to get rid of all of these pagan style of beliefs and hide them away and use their catholic church as a means of uh, institutionalizing people and indoctrinating them it's a classic Orwellian situation that we've gotten ourselves into or, 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 you know, where we find ourselves. It's, it's with the control of information comes the control of knowledge and with the control of knowledge comes the control of thought and who controls the past controls the history, you know, and who controls it, you know, it's just this classic kind of thing. It's, it's, a, it's, but, but as much as it's being erased and as much as it's being suppressed, the collective consciousness, which is something that, you know, it's just this, you know, this Akashic record that keeps coming up. Like there's something there like they can try to hide it. But but inside of the living body of Earth, that will always still be because, you know, if you whether or not you believe the, you know, the modern physics uh, understanding of energy, it cannot be created nor destroyed. Mm-hmm. Well, it's still floating around in the ether. And that's for us to obtain pain you know um i think a lot of these ancient you know beliefs of like spirituality and which is every human culture ever um whether or not it's a um you know an indigenous culture a pagan culture a christian culture a monotheistic culture whatever what have you their spirituality and i think the ultimate goal of all of that is generally always going to be ascension and it's always 
goals to ascend. And uh, it's, it's fucking interesting. And I, and, and so they want to keep it for themselves and, but they can't do that because we will always find out because we are here within the earth's body. Well, you know, what's interesting. I was just, cause we're all reading stuff. I was just <laughs> looking, through, uh, <laughs> looking through the Vinland map and the Tardar relation book that I mentioned finding in the bookstore. And, and it says here that, and this is coming from, to your point, Dan, which is really fascinating. Um, Jesuits, who yeah. the Carpini Ooh. mission is what we're talking about here. Where the what division? Carpini, Carpini mission. And it was a mission. Okay. I forget the guy's first name, but his last name was Carpini. And he went out to Tartars or Tartaria. And he wrote a bunch of stuff. And something that he wrote here that's kind of interesting. Uh, from whom, or I'm sorry. In this country lived a certain man of noble birth, but cruel character named Chingis, a.k.a. Genghis, uh-huh. whom the Tartars took their origin. With the aid of a few followers, he commenced a life of plunder and in due course became crueler than ever, he began to capture other men by stealth and add them to the bondage of his iniquity. When he had amassed 30 henchmen, he burnt he burst into open frenzy and enter entirely subdued his command, his native country of Moal. Thereupon, as is the way of haughty men, he began to crave for more and gathering an army proceeded against the country adjacent to the Tartars on the east. And then it goes on a little bit to describe some of the, the meanings of the words. Um, but then it says, uh, Tata and Tartar correspond in their language to Latin Tahir and Trahens, meaning carry along. It was their custom to choose a leader to rule over them. And at that time, they had elected one named Kao Li, whom Chinggis conquered and incorporated his beaten followers in his own army. So, you know, they're talking about how Genghis Khan is very much, you know, a part of the Tartarians. But I think, you know, they obviously like to your point, Dan, were the enemies of the Roman Catholic church. And that's why they were writing about them like this and saying, Oh, he's cruel. He's brutal. He beats people up there. Everybody that works with him is his slave. You know, this is all propaganda and it may be true. It may be false. We hear a lot of stuff about the Mongols just being total brutes. But what's interesting is they, they required their neighbors to pay them tribute. And what's interesting about that is here in new England, the Mohawk tribe in ancient, you know, in the past before the colonies were set up, they struck a lot of fear in the people that lived where I was born uh, because the Mohawks would come around and ask for tribute. And if you didn't, they would take you hostage and beat you up and take your women and children and all that, all the terrible things. So there were all these forts built along the Housatonic River here in Connecticut so that the people who lived here, the uh, Wepawag were local to this area, but the Quinnipinac people were, was one of the names, or Quisipinac, and there's a bunch of different clan names, and different historians say that, you know, they're all named one thing, but either way, they spoke Algonquin, which connects back to what we were talking about before, and it's interesting that they do something very similar, at least certain tribes did something very similar to what the Mongolians did. Back to our point about the land bridge and the connection between uh, Eastern Asia and North America, right? So 
I mean, there's so much more in this book that, you know, I really, half of it's in Latin. It's one of those books where like the left page is English and the right mm. page is the original language. Yeah. So it's kind of, uh, it's a, it's an interesting read, but there are some cool maps in it. Nothing, nothing that reveals buildings, which is unfortunate. Yeah, you know, in, in Box Saga, they don't really talk too much about building anything. Or I've also noticed, uh, like, astronomy. There's not a whole lot about astronomy in there. And I would think that an ancient tribe or an ancient peoples that were building all these pyramids that were lining up to astronomy would have more astronomical things. Uh, the the major things that are in there are about Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, and the North Star. So the Great Bear, the Little Bear, and the North Star. Uh, it seems to be the only thing they really talk about um, in there as far as astronomy goes. And everything else is uh, really not that much in there. Very interesting. Yeah, I think you know, there's all these pieces of the puzzle and... You know, to the initial point I made, like at first it's easy to dismiss all these things as like unrelated, but then once you really dive into it and you see yeah. how many connections there are, you're like, okay, there's a much larger story at work here. You're being given the watered down version. It's the Earth's history, not a people's history. You know, like it's it's all encompassing, and uh, it's. I mean, like. <laughs> Uh, like there's so many connections everywhere. We're like, we talked about Ireland today. We talked about these faraway islands. Um, we talked, about, you know, so much. And, and every continent, except for Antarctica. Yeah. <laughs> for real. Antarctica. Whoa. Antarctica's That's a whole thing on its own. We didn't, we didn't talk about the moon either. Yeah, I think, but, uh, I think the Absu is Antarctica and that's, uh, Enki's base is the Antarctic. And when people go to the Antarctic, what do they they say they see people there or giant pyramids or something? Or, you know, maybe that's why it's so stormy. Or, I mean, that's obviously not why, but uh, maybe, you know, all that tremendous weather. I'm going to go a little on, out on a limb here, but maybe all that weather is caused because there are Nephilim down there imprisoned and they are creating this so that people don't go there uh because they're oh. or something or maybe you know because like in the bible it talks about sticking the flaming sword of fire in there so that way they could not go to the garden of eden anymore they were blocked and so maybe it's something oh. like that where there's something in the pole that they can get to for if they go into the pole but because it's covered in ice now by Antarctica, there is no way in. That's interesting. And that's maybe why Hitler, you know, I think, I think the whole, like when you tie in W, uh, w uh, the world war two into this, like there's a, there's a big kind of following that, like the, the, the German power stance that, you know, hit, fucking army basically like had a bunch of tartarian information and this you know like esoteric deep understanding and they may have been you know because they were like Aryans, right and so mm. um you know when you tie that into this like 
very, 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 very esoteric Antarctic situation that we can't even try to start looking at if we wanted to yeah. um, into it. And there's like, oh, you know, Argentina has hollow earth passages to Antarctica and there's new Schwab in Antarctica. And, you know, there's that there's that connection to the Sumerian God, which you reference. And that's all very, very interesting. And um well, if you go that to fucking that man, if you go with Box Saga and you say that the North and the North Pole was like Asgard or heaven, or and then that Enki is the leader of hell, the anti Arctic is the opposite of the high place, it's the low place, right? So, Antarctica would be basically hell frozen over the polarity. Yeah, it'd be the exact wow. opposite. Uh, I think, Mark, you mentioned the word hottie, the hottie people. Uh, hottie is like a kind of like a derogatory word for the high, high people, like uh, people that think they're like high and mighty. They're hottie. You know, they're like hottie toddy. Hoity toity. Yeah, hoity. Uh, I think that's a so it's kind of like a one of those derogatory words to describe the high people. Uh, and then when you break down, like, if you go with the globe earth and the equator, then there's a, a lower earth, right? And a higher earth and the underworld would be everything below the equator. That's why Enki, even though he inhabited Africa, he was the ruler of the underworld, just like Satan. Right. Yeah, man. I mean, I'm a little cooked right now because <laughs> it's really late where I'm at, but you know. Yeah, no, I feel it. I feel it. Uh, I think we're. Uh, the, see, the thing about Zoom is it doesn't tell me how long we've been on here. Uh, does it? No, we've hit the two-hour mark. Does it? Does it say that anywhere? Is there a way I can find that out, Mark? Do you know? Um, there is a setting I think that you could put a timestamp on it. Um, oh, there is in, oh, okay. in the Zoom settings, but you could also use like a phone app and hit. Uh, something like a stop <laughs> phone. I don't know. My my roadcaster when I hit record tells me I don't I didn't record this, so I don't know. Yeah. But but I think we're about there. But uh uh is there anything else you guys wanted to say before we uh finish up here? Well, I was gonna say I really appreciate you guys inviting me to be a part of this huge Tartaria month. I think that's really awesome. It's yeah. a fascinating topic. I don't think it's as new as it is to maybe the internet. I think it's a really old topic like we yeah. kind of on today, but it's got a new, like new, uh, what do they say? Like new, uh, energy, you know, surging through it for lack of a, a more descriptive term. And I'm excited to just comment on it. You know, I don't claim to be an expert. I'm yeah. just kind of digging through the books that I have and seeing what sticks and, and yeah, I'd love to be a part of any roundtables you guys do moving forward. Cause I think if anything, I just try to ask really, uh, good questions. Cause I think, you know, that's all we end up with anyways is yeah. questions. <laughs> For sure. Roman, anything? Um, thank you very much, Mark. It's been a long overdue, uh, journey with you on the microphone. I feel like Dan and I have been, uh, cahoots with you for a bit. Um, especially when you brought us on to Alt Media United, 
Um, so it's cool that this is how we did it. I feel like we fucking went hard. Um, so uh, the people, you know, it, it's okay. If Tartaria is not new, obviously, and especially to the internet, um, we are making fucking strides and this conversation will be remembered. And I'm really happy to have you guys as part of Alt Media United. I mean, you know, yeah. we're cooperative, and if people want to check it out, altmediaunited.com. You can find my podcast there. My family thinks I'm crazy. You can find Rising from the Ashes there, and a bunch of other people who you guys are going to be podcasting with for this month. Yeah. Uh, many more, but yeah, dude, this has been a blast, man. Uh, so I, I just want to say real quick, uh, you know, this month uh, is, is great. Uh, we already uh, are having Gary Wayne on before you, and uh josh and jason monday from christian and conspiracy uh and then we got you and we got so many other great guests and the fact that all of them connecting the tartaria and every individual person is not really necessarily on that tartaria vein you know but i think each one of them hits on it in a different way uh we got word magic you know i think that's a big deal in this whole overall tartaria idea uh we got energy and crystals how they work we got alchemy and how that works and then we got michelle gibson uh yeah we'll be seeing what we talk about with her hopefully some um the moors and what is uh uh, ley lines is what i want to get into with her and then at the end of this month uh, december 3rd we're going to record a group show to talk about the episodes here that we're doing on Tartaria and have a round table and kind of hash out some ideas, just like we did here on this show. Uh, not really to yell at each other or scream at each other, but just to kind of iron out some details and get different perspectives. Cause if, if we stay in the same bubble, uh, we don't learn anything new. Uh, we just repeat the same shit. And uh, I think it's good for us to talk to different people about these things and hear different perspectives, um, even if they don't necessarily agree with your own. And uh, I, I think that's part of, uh, you know, learning and, and getting wiser. And uh, that's what we want to do around here. And so thank you, Mark, for joining us today. We appreciate it. And uh, that was awesome. I, I really enjoyed uh, getting into a little bit more of the indigenous stuff and the Atlantis stuff. Um, it's very fun. Uh, I would love to do more. I mean, since we've started doing this, uh, I've been thinking about other people like, oh, I should get them on to talk about this. I should get them on to talk about that. So we might be doing another Tartaria month in the future uh, where we try to, you know, get some other people on to talk about some other different aspects of Tartaria that we might not have covered in, in these eight episodes. I mean, there's eight episodes and we're still not even covering everything there is to cover it seems to encompass all of history even into this new age that we're in now and uh i mean it's a it's a never-ending thing so uh tartaria is uh always something that drives us and a lot of other podcasters so it's going to be really fun to have uh, all these different viewpoints on the show at, at the end of the month and uh, i'm glad you're going to be joining us and we got some more and we'll let people know as the shows go on who else is going to be in right on you know if only the, the 
camera was on for these people to see this. <laughs> oh, putting, man. It looks like when you have like a holographic card and you like shake it, <laughs> moving so fast, but the the lag, you're like, stop. Yeah. <laughs> there he goes again. <laughs> yeah, Roman's fucking weird, man. He looks like Emperor Palpatine or some shit. Like, <laughs> standing in front of a bunch of hanging weed. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, hey, Mark. Roman, shut the fuck up yeah. for a second. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Hey, Mark, go ahead and, and plug your show, man, and what you got going on. I know you got several shows going on. Uh, so let the people know what you're up to. Thank you. Yes, I still do uh, the synchromistic exploration of the ever-expanding. Now it's happening every moment. Um that's a show you can find on patreon.com. And then my family thinks I'm crazy is the podcast that I do for free as well as two new podcasts kind of amidst that podcast, your handbook for the apocalypse with Michael Wan and a newer one called the elemental philosophorum with generation Z, where we break down the periodic table of elements and all the alchemical and historical weirdness that surrounds that topic. So yeah, love it. that's fucking tight. So please check that out. My family yeah. thinks crazy. And also uh, me and Andy Rouse from the deep share and Yake Hagstrom are starting a new podcast called roots of creation. And the first episode will be out November 11th, which will be on YouTube and on uh, podcast everywhere. So uh, we're going to go full Bach, never go full Bach, but we're going full Bach. And uh, we're going to try to hash out some Bach of these the ideas Bach. and see how, how much uh, the saga holds water, you know, um, and, and, and really put it, put it to the test. And uh, we're going to get testimony from a lot of the people involved in the saga. Yake has the connection. So we're going to, uh, even the person that wrote this book, the introduction of the box saga is going to be on the show. Uh, so we're going to really try to dig into it, man. And, uh, and, you know, see, see what's there. Right on. Yeah. So thank you everybody for joining us today. And remember, thank you. Thank you. Wake, wake up. Up.